This is Unfilter, episode 259 for November 15th, 2017. We begin tonight with Donald Trump Jr. and his secret correspondence, his messages for months with WikiLeaks before the election. The Atlantic breaking the story tonight, ABC News confirming the communications began during the campaign and continued well after his father was in the White House. Tonight, Don Jr.'s messages, what they reveal about WikiLeaks and their advice for the Trump campaign. Happy Unfiltered Day to all of you. This is Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase, running the board this week with his brand new, slick, delicious-looking iPhone. Is it X or 10? I, I don't... What is it? I think the X stands for NSA surveillance. Ah, uh, fair enough, fair enough. But hey, look on the bright side, Chris, <laughs> because if you do anything bad and illegal yeah, or terrible... I know. It's encrypted, yeah, and uh, not even you know, uh, your well, best actually, buddies can get into it. It's funny. We're going to get to that know, a little yeah, bit of the show. Yeah, yeah, look at your teeth. Yeah, yeah, it's good yeah. to have you back, buddy. Thanks, man. So we have... I know, you know what I figured we'd do is we'd have a really good episode in 259 and then just totally coast for 260. What do you think? You know what? That's the <laughs> You, you want to coast on the uh, episodes ending in zero. That's usually... Yeah. That's the rule. I don't know if you've heard the uh, 77th theory, but every 77 episodes, we have a good show. No, <laughs> just kidding. Only every, every... <laughs> that I mean, be horrible? This, the, the stuff that's happening right now <laughs> is, is so good, not even Hollywood could script no, it. I know. It's, it's so good. It's like it was built for this show. <laughs> like, when we launched this show 259 weeks ago, we had no idea what we were getting into. So, yeah, we're going to get into some cyber. We definitely have some Trump and Trump Jr. stuff. Then we're going to talk Uranium One. The show's going to take a position on Uranium One, and then... There has been some shit going down with ISIS. We'll tell you about ISIL, that. by the way. Thank you. Then we'll take the mail sack in, and then we'll end it all on a high note. And if you're up for it, stick around, because we have a packed overtime, too. So Ooh, lots coming up today. Lots of overtime. Shays. Nice. You want to start with the cyber? You know ASO. That's so, what I always say. One of the things, one of the real moments that's a, that just really stands out in the history of the Unfilter program, if we could talk about ourselves for a little more here, would be, I think you'd probably agree, would be the Snowden leaks. Absolutely. Big, pivotal, changing uh, moment for the show. And it was just a, it was one of these stories that really required that Chase, myself, and producer Matt just went all in on the research, just constantly consuming every little bit of detail we could find, reading every story that was published by the journalists that were running these stories, that they got in their hands on these leaks. And it was really like, wow, this is what an unsanctioned, unplanned, huge drop of government information looks like. And so with that in mind, I can't help but look at this story that's come out this week and say... Well, this stuff doesn't quite smell right. But apparently, apparently, Chase, I don't know if you knew this, but the NSA has suffered the worst breach of their entire history, worse than Snowden, and we don't yet know the totality. So there's only one uh, thing left to do. What's that, man? We have to bring your buddy on. Oh, my good friend. Mike Morell. Um, good old Mike. From, from the CIA. Yes. And he can tell us the totality of the NSA breach. 
breach that the National Security Agency has described as catastrophic and even worse. Did you hear about this catastrophic breach of the NSA? Well, yeah. I mean, it, when they when they have Russia in there at the NSA, just feed them <laughs> directly the secrets. You know, like when Snowden's re- revelations came out, it was about Snowden. It was about his girlfriend. There was this immediate counter-information campaign. Yeah. But with this, the media desperately wants to tell you about this particular incident. A reported breach of the National Security Agency is described as catastrophic and even worse than Edward Snowden's massive data leak. Oh, that means the New he's York off Times the hook The reports now. <laughs> a group called Shadow Brokers has been releasing information on NSA cyber weapons since August 2016. It's now being used against the United States. The Times reports the government does not know if the secrets were leaked or hacked or whether the possible leaker is still at work. CBS News senior national security contributor Michael Morell is a former deputy and acting director of the CIA. He's with us now from Washington. Good morning, Michael. Let me begin with this. So he's a career CIA guy. They don't really set this up very well. So Mike Morell was 20 plus years in the CIA, number two, number three in command, then for a short period of time, number one in command when a few shenanigans went down. Then he left to become a CBS contributor. He left CBS, after that, the CIA broadcasting system, to become a Hillary Clinton campaign advisor. When Hillary's campaign failed, he came back to the CIA broadcasting system to share the CIA's point of view. Uh, and uh, Chris, I'm, not, I'm the, not making this up. That's the Columbia Broadcasting System. There is no quitting the CIA. And if you've read any books on the CIA, this is one of the things that comes out clearly in all of them. Once you become a deep-level member of the CIA, you never quit. And him here on this program, he may be retired from the CIA, but he is 100% representing their opinion. How damaging is this? What do we know about the damage to our national security. Now, why a CIA guy is commenting on the national security damage caused by an NSA leak, I'm not sure. Charlie, the only thing we know so far is that I can read a prompter are are the tools that have been posted on the Internet uh, for sale. Um, oh, we don't he missed know. an opportunity there, Chris. You yeah. know, you know what he missed. He missed mentioning on the dark web. That's true. That is true. So the totality of this breach is being measured by the tools that are for sale on the dark web. Charlie, the only thing we know so far are the tools that have been posted on the internet uh, for sale. Um, we don't know what else the leakers may have. Um, And most important, Charlie, we don't know how this information got out of the National Security Agency. And that's 15 months after the first leak occurred. Now, the only thing that that is odd about this to me is so when Snowden did a leak, he took a whole set of he took a cache, a cache of documents, and he he gave it to the uh, to to reputable journalists like uh, Glenn Greenwald, the, the, the Guardian, the New York Times to a degree. Um, he gave it to journalists that would then go through it, redact certain bits of information, work with the administration, and then publish it. And then the NSA was put in the – or the government in, in totality was put in the position of having to respond to accusations that were coming out via these revelations, right? Right. Makes sense. Yeah. This catastrophic, as they put in quotes in the lower third, this catastrophic NSA breach – is being told to us by the media, being told to us by government institutions. It is being telecasted to us 
by all of the same institutions that tried to shut down all conversation of the Snowden leaks. Like they're going out of their way to inform us about this catastrophic NSA breach. Probably because they want to get in front before anybody else does. That's what I think. I mean, if if they it, when it's it's kind of like. Uh, when there's somebody getting bad news, right? You know, if you get out in front of it, it feels like spin of some kind. Right? You, it is a spin. It could be that's a positive take on the type the, of spin. The only other thing they should have done is maybe waited until Friday, and then they could have <laughs> dumped the whole thing. Well, that's just it. It's like, why are they even talking about this? Because if, it's a distraction. But if there was a if there was a fundamental breach, and their tools are being exploited, and the media wasn't already talking about it, wouldn't they instinctively try to keep it hush hush? It's one of those things where. They already know that members of the media already have certain amounts of access. They have their insiders, quote unquote. And if they don't come out in front of that story before, say, somebody in the media does at ABC or NBC, CBS, whatever, it's going to make them look even worse. So if they come out, I agree, and be like, "Hey, you but know, then we're why did in front of the American so people?" And things I like completely that. agree with you. It it is better to take control of the message. But yeah. then they knew about the Snowden revelations before they were ever published because the Guardian went to the administration, went to the Obama. I, I think it's easier when you have a specific person you can point at hmm. right hmm. and say you know here's the poster person here's right. the the, the right. guy or the Whereas gal this, whatever you're just seeing tools show up online you're like well shit those are our tools we didn't even know we had them. right link. and then you know you can try to tie in russia or any other you know that would be entity. good if you could bring russia in that would be good right yeah right that's what's most scary to me because scary that me says um, we don't know the totality of this and more important we don't know if they're stealing information as we sit here right now we don't know the totality of this could also mean this is a total minor incident that is not even worth mentioning, but because I don't know the totality of it yet, I'm mentioning it, right? So that goes two ways. It could mean it's bigger than we know, but it also could mean it's minor than we realized. And so it's it's a tricky way to get out of talking about the seriousness of the breach. Well, not only that, but this is one of those instances, you guys, a bookmark, episode 259, whenever the government comes back <laughs> yeah. and they say, you know, we need to get back to <laughs> And access to your iPhone or your Android device or whatever the case may be. You know, we want to keep we want to keep these tools. You know, so we have these abilities. Yeah. Well, guess what happens? This kind of stuff gets yes. leaked, yes. and then all of a sudden, that back door yeah. is can never be closed. Do you remember the Petya uh, ransomware? Same thing. Those yeah. were based on NSA tools. Because that says. Um, we don't know the totality of this, and more important, we don't know if they're stealing information as we sit here right now. Is it worse than Edward Snowden leak in 2013? Nora, I think so, because he leaked descriptions of these tools. These are the actual tools themselves. Right. Ugh. That's a big difference. Huge Talking difference. about what the tools can do versus giving you the actual tools is a night and day difference. So what are the risks here, Michael, do you think, for the average American? Uh, nothing. Uh, so they have to worry about Equifax. Gale. The first <laughs> is that we used these tools to collect intelligence on our adversaries to protect the country. We've now made that much more difficult to collect that intelligence. It's this... You know, now that you've said that thing about encryption backdoors, yeah. like I can't stop thinking about it. like every time he talks about this, like yeah. imagine if you had encryption backdoors to every major encryption. Right. In- well, yeah, if they had the keys that they want privately and all of a sudden these are private tools that no one should have and all the, of a sudden people these have. These are our biggest national security treasures. Yeah made that much more difficult to collect that intelligence that's so important. The second is that some of these tools are being used against the United States government and against U.S. companies today. So that- Which that also would happen because United States government personnel are using iPhones or using encryption. They would have these things that are vulnerable to backdoors. Time to go back to the BlackBerry, right? Pen and paper, dude. Bez. They're being turned <laughs> back against us. So essentially the technology that we developed at Fort Meade right. is now being used by other governments to hack into some of our companies and our personal information. 
That's exactly right, Nora. So we think it was a government then? So we don't know, Charlie. Um, well, I, I don't buy, I don't, I mean, this is. Is this Charlie going for that angle? This is the Alan Jude coming out in me. But I just, if you're a government, you do not go on the black market and sell the secrets you've, you've found. Those are your prizes that you can now use to attack Leverage. your enemy. Yeah. Right, right. You don't go sell them for the highest bidder uh, on Bitcoin. Some people are pointing fingers at Russia. I'm not so <gasps> sure about that because. He mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. Russia gets a mention. Several reports. All the networks have a report. Russia always gets a mention. But he's not so on board with the Russia thing. We don't know, Charlie. Um, Some people are pointing fingers at Russia. I'm not so sure about that because if Russia had access to NSA in terms of um, a cyber Internet access or in terms of an insider, why would they go public and give that up? The way he's talking right now makes me think he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, I tend to think this is either a disgruntled insider or an outside group. What about about a disgruntled contractor? (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so these uh, these cyber weapons are being turned against the world, according to NBC. In the world of espionage, the question remains, who are the shadow brokers? The group claiming responsibility for what may be the biggest security breach ever at the NSA, now taunting the country in posts riddled with spelling errors. Recently writing, is NSA chasing shadows? So was the breach the work of foreign hackers or someone on the inside? Former NSA analyst Orrin Falkowitz says it's had a chilling effect on NSA staffers. Oh, that's rough. Uh, it puts them under suspicion. It puts the people they work with uh, into question. You guess what? They already were. <laughs> uh, and it slows the progress of protecting the country. Yeah, it always did, yeah. actually. Whoever stole the NSA's cyber weapons then used them to launch ransomware attacks against hospitals, banks, shipping, and drug companies. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like there's a lesson in here somewhere, Chase. Yeah. Do you think there might be? Maybe. Mm. One online post hints at a Russian connection. <gasps> Russian security people are becoming Russian hackers at night, but only full moons. Hackers? Yes, did you see that? I did. Hackers? This whole thing is like... Um, ah, they're using the iPhone technology, I It's see. basic. Uh, it's basic here. Like, So, well, because the hackers did uh, these real bad misspellings, they must be foreigners. They're leet. Which seems like an obvious misdirection to me. Spelled L33T, right? Right. Yes, that's the FBI have taken this breach extremely seriously, but their inability to actually find the root cause is deeply problematic. It means that additional information could be exfiltrated. The damage is said to be among the most severe ever. The FBI's former chief cyber agent in New York. Is the game stacked against the United States government in terms of being able to respond quickly and effectively and put up necessary defenses? The advantage is with the attacker because they have the ability to study a system, find its weaknesses, and find a way inside. That would be not only true for Cyberchase, that would be true for every single <laughs> attack. Yes. It is, say veterans, full-scale cyber warfare requiring both a strong offense and defense. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. That was really a good report there, Tom. That was super, super good there, Tom. I especially like he was very concerned and nodding uh, during that interview. So we have this huge breach. We're, huge breach. It's just, it's worse than Snowden. It's just awful. You're also a cyber security expert, and yesterday, stunning news on the NSA, first page of the New York Times. So it goes out on the fr- front page of the New York Times, the first page, as he puts it, uh, which was also interesting because if you remember, one of the people that Snowden didn't find 
um, workable was the New York Times. He ended up going to Glenn Greenwald and The Guardian because the New York Times was so in with the government. Has been breached, has been hacked. What did we lose? Who did it? Right. So this is from Shadow Brokers. Many viewers will recall the, the WannaCry uh, ransomware virus, which, which was released way back in, uh, in June of uh, this year uh, and targeted computers. And, and at this point, we don't know exactly who is responsible, who are shadow brokers. We believe it's Russia. There have been three NSA employees who have been arrested. We're not even sure if that's the result, if they were responsible for the leak of this. They must have been Russian NSA employees, probably mm-hmm. close personal friends of Vladimir Putin information so really the forensics are ongoing and that's very disturbing how much oh yeah it's so fucking disturbing the forensics are ongoing and god that's scary you know the professionals that are coming in and doing an investigation to properly get the facts god that's so scary chase i'm man i'm afraid i'm getting on the table forensics are ongoing and that's very disturbing how much damage was done what was lost i would say massive damage look if, if many in the ic believe that i would say massive vagaries it's worse than snowden snowden if he released uh, the code words. This was the code. These are hacking tools. The NSA is the most sophisticated agency in the world. This so pisses me off because these tools... so vague. I mean, not only vague, but it it shouldn't have been this easy. It feels like this is too easy. Yeah, yeah. Like if you could just get in there and all of a sudden have access to all the tools. (laughs) That Dr. Evil version of Putin is good. Hacking into foreign uh, computers. And now we've unable to protect our own, which is of concern. I wish that was fake news. It's not. It's, it's not fake news. It's not I, fake news, Chase. I have, li- I have a little conspiracy bacon. Just a smidge. Maybe Wait, I don't really I, I don't know if it feels like this is way too nicely wrapped for us. It's it like does, it's, doesn't it's, it? it's it's a gift uh, it's for, got a bow on top. So taking the distraction angle out of it for a minute, you know, the look over here argument. What if this was intentional or they leaked these tools but they're not really tools they still have the real good tools but they leaked out like tainted tools or mm. or tools that have hidden back doors for the nsa and so by them advertising this to the world saying oh our tools got hacked we lost our tools and then they're hoping that bad people start using them and then in turn they're able to kind of reverse engineer things or whatever <sighs> It just yeah. feels like this is yeah. way too nicely wrapped. It, there, I agree. There is something about it. It's like it's got a bow on top. It's got sprinkles. Yeah. Here's all the information we desperately oh, want to tell we, you about and it. we lost them. Oops. Oh, my God. This Catastrophic. is the worst ever. Worse than Snowden. Worse than and, – and, and notice that's a key talking yeah. point across and all it aspects. Might, it might be Russia, and it's worse than Snowden. It, it makes me want to kind of raise my eyebrow like The Rock a little bit I agree. This. I agree. You know what else is raising my eyebrow like The Rock is – I don't know how many months ago we talked about this uh, Vault 7 release. Uh, yes. Do you remember in Vault 7, one of the things that came out is that the CIA had the ability to impersonate um, entire countries. Like they would set typeface, they would set fonts, they would set time of day. They would set all of these language options that would make them look like uh, a foreign country. Well, it appears that it's much more extensive than we previously thought. And I don't know, did we talk about Kaspersky on this show? Oh, yes. How you and I, I both have. thought it was like kind of a shame that they were getting really kind of shit on? Yeah. A little bit, because it was good software. Yeah. It was, Kaspersky software was like decent antivirus, but on top of that, what I really respect about Kaspersky was a lot of really good investigation was happening with like uh, 
Stuxnet. Kaspersky was pivotal into investigating Stuxnet and the yeah. U.S.'s involvement in that and a bunch of other really good government-backed malware. And Kaspersky had developed over the years this impressive research arm of the company as a result of Stuxnet to some yeah. degree. Yeah, I remember. And then recently, there's been all of this shit about how Kaspersky is malware. Kaspersky, Kaspersky was using its antivirus software to spy on your computer and report back to the Russians. And Kaspersky had been fingerprinted for hacking into stuff. Well, it turns out uh, that all might be shit. Good evening, friends. We start tonight with Hive, H-I-V-E, a CIA hacking tool capable of masking itself and impersonating public companies. The code was specifically designed to impersonate the software of Russian antivirus company Kaspersky. WikiLeaks first began publishing the source code for Hive back in April of this year. The current leak confirms the CIA is capable of making it appear the source of a hack was an outside source. This seems like an unignorable fact. Namely, the Russians. Yeah, you can make yourself look like the Russians, and then that same organization that has that tool then attributes it to the Russians. (laughs) It just seems like a conflict there. The United States government has gone on the offensive against Kaspersky, accusing it of being involved in Russian efforts to hack American servers. For more on this tonight, we turn to former CIA officer Jack Rice. Jack, this is this reads like a spy novel, if nothing else. What is this? What's its capability? Tell us about it. Well, it's, it's a fascinating issue, Ed. And again, this alleged op that's out there right now, when we look at it, the idea would be to, to do something essentially called a false flag operation of sorts. You could do something, and when you're done with it, it would look like somebody else did it. it now, you could make it look like Ukraine, you could make it look like Iran, you could make it look like Aspersky. That seems, that seems like the exact kind of tool a spy agency would want to have, and then they could use that. And you could look at the raw data and you'd say, well, look at these fingerprints, look at this data. It says Russia. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, what do you? Mm-hmm. Do? There's nothing you can do with that other than just no. go, okay. Well, I'm going to take that into into advisement for future stories. <laughs> right. There's like nothing you can do with that. Right. Yeah. You just kind of like, okay, great. There's a story though that has been brewing that I bet a lot of our audience. I know you're on top of it already. Everybody is probably concerned about this that has any kind of technological bent, and that is this slow simmering crockpot war against encryption. And every time there is some massive event in the U.S. It's generally used as an opportunity by the FBI or the Justice Department or whoever it is at that time. It's generally used as an opportunity to blame encryption, to blame secure devices. And there was a shooting in Texas at a church. It's I know, I know. It's yeah. hard to keep them all straight these days. And that very incident is being used to blame the phones. Good morning, everybody. I'm Christopher Combs, the FBI SAC here in San Antonio. Let's stop right there. This is an initiative that has been driven by the FBI since day one. It doesn't really seem to be driven by local police. It doesn't seem to be driven by the NSA or the CIA. This is an FBI initiative since day one, since Comey was coming out on these mics. Good morning, everybody. I'm Christopher Combs, the FBI SAC here in San Antonio. As the commander stated, uh, the phone of the subject was turned over to us. We flew that on a GPS plane, plane last night to Quantico. A GPS plane, Chase. A G- Be- wait. <laughs> because we don't track all the other planes. 
Stupid fuck. They're in the process of looking at the phone. Unfortunately, at this point in time, we are unable to get into that phone. I, I propose to you that it is literally impossible for these organizations like the FBI to handle the modern security systems that we have. So I want you oh, – let's replay this a little bit because I did interrupt it and then we're going to talk more about it. Like they are just built as an organization in a way that makes them so slow and so stupid and so unable to respond to things in any kind of timely matter that they simply are incapable of handling situations like this. Uh, I present you the evidence right here. PS plane, plane last night to Quantico. They're in the process of looking at the phone. Unfortunately, at this point in time – we are unable to get into that phone. So it actually highlights an, an issue that you've all heard about before with the advance of the technology and the phones and the encryptions. The phones and the technologies yeah, and the, the encryptions. And the widgets you kids use today. Law enforcement, whether it's at the state, local, or the federal level, is increasingly Lever. not able to get into these phones. So this is not going away. And you got dumbasses like this. Here's the problem, Chase. There is a critical window of time when it comes to these devices. And any kind of sophisticated encryption system is going to have this problem. For about 48 hours after a deadly rampage at a Texas church, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies did not ask Apple Inc. to help them unlock the gunman's iPhone or associated online accounts. Now, why is 48 hours, why is that number important? Do you know? Uh, because after that, when you try to get into phone, it requires the PIN, right? As right. Well? If yeah. you use the thumbprint within 48 hours, they could have taken this dumb son of a bitch's phone. His dead and they, and they could have taken his dead – yes, exactly. His yeah. dead corpse and pressed his thumb up against the button and they could have unlocked his phone and gotten access to everything. Yeah. The last time with the San Bernardino, when we had this same situation, it was the same thing. They initially – they fucked up the initial phone handling and then they screwed up on how to get access to it. They ended up spending tons of money on some Israeli company's solution to pull the board out and access the RAM directly or the ROM, I don't, whatever the hell you call it in these solid state devices. And, and, and meanwhile, if these dumb shits – and I, I, the reason why this upsets me, and I, I'm sorry about the curse words, but I am, I am genuinely angry here. I am so angry because if these, if these people at the FBI that are trying so hard would just – if they could just get their shit together in, I don't know, 12 hours? Okay, maybe not 12 hours. How about 18 hours? No, 18 hours? Okay, 24 hours. No, 24 hours is too long? Okay, 32, 32 hours. If they could get their shit together in 36 hours, they could get access to this phone and they could have all the information they want. But instead, they're too slow, they're too bureaucratic, and they waste three days. And then it has to become this huge debate about encryption about access to encryption, about about the security of these phones. It becomes this entire conversation that never needed to happen if these stupid, lazy, slow sons of bitches would just press the phone up against the dead man's body in the first 48 hours. That's all they'd had to do. They had to take this slab of glass and press it up against this dumb fuck's dead hand and they could get access to the phone and none of this would be a problem. But they don't do it. And at this point, I have to believe it's intentional. Oh, yeah, totally. Because, you think so, too? Oh, absolutely, because they know, I mean, 
first off, they they want to cause this conversation. Yeah, that's why they want to create this problem. The special agent in charge is sitting there at the podium saying, you know, as you all were well aware, we could not get into the. It's it's just really continuing the narrative. It really upsets me, Chase, because uh, it what it does is it convolutes the the idea of the only way you can have security is by losing privacy, and that is. 100% 100% false. Yep. The only way that you can get good privacy and good security is through real encryption that you can rely on, and the two are related. You can't have good security without good privacy. You just can't. You no. can't. It doesn't work. And so they want to fundamentally alter the encryption. They want to create escrow accounts that the companies all go in on, and they want to they want to make certain open source projects illegal to develop in the United States. None of this is, is none of this is going to work if they would just press the stupid piece of glass up against the dead man's thumb. We wouldn't have this problem, but they're too stupid to pull it off in forty eight hours. And so, as a result of that, we need to compromise the entire world's security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's a great idea. Not. I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's so. And it's it's like it feels like it's one of the most. Um, but then like again, dense go, things that our government's trying to do. Right go now. back to the previous story about the uh, about the leaking of the tools. It's like how you know. Granted, the leaking of the tools happened after this press conference, but it's one of those things. It's like you look at one. It's like no, you're not going to get tools because you can't keep the tools that you have already safe. Do you think we're going to trust you? Exactly. Like you're currently proving why we shouldn't trust you. Yeah. You're like this week. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Box the gunman's iPhone or associated online accounts, according to Reuters. This was a loss in time that could have been critical to the ongoing investigation. A cell phone belonging to Devin Kelly, accused of killing 26 people before taking his own life, was sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Quantico, Virginia Crime Lab because authorities could not unlock it. Christopher Combs, head of the FBI's San Antonio field office, said on Tuesday. It is, and it's this every single time. It's every single time it's this story. And I, uh, I so we're going to watch it and see where it goes yeah. because I have a feeling this could have massive ramifications But, on, but honestly, the you know, you got a lot of smart people at Google and Apple that will just go, see, this is why we can't make a tool because look what, you can't even keep anything safe. You can't. Maybe the aliens you keep safe in Nevada at Area 51, but no, you can't keep this safe. Okay? You know, I, I feel like, too, at the at the end of the day for companies like Apple and Samsung, there are larger markets than the U.S. And if they build in these backdoors for the U.S. China want, is going to want them. Absolutely. India will want them. North Korea. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It doesn't end there. No, it doesn't. All right, let's shift gears. We haven't had a dedicated Trump segment on the show for a couple of episodes, so uh, let's get into the Trumps for a moment. Well, he's you know he's been in Asia. Yes, and yeah. he and apparently he's he's uh, he's um, accomplished quite a many things. He Chase. has done an amazing job yeah. when he was over there. He wanted to let us know today too. Yes, he did. Uh, <laughs> By the way, full disclosure: Chris and I watched the. Uh, <laughs> press conference today live yeah <laughs> and that was yeah that was fun that was wow and yeah. Ru- good on rubio but do you want it okay yeah, so go, yeah go for it all right so there was a moment uh during the trump press conference today that was well it reminded us a lot of marco rubio uh, here. japanese companies have announced investments in the united states worth more than eight billion dollars seventeen thousand jobs and he stops 
And he looks in the podium. He's looking down below the podium. He there's, even, there's no one down there. And this is this was this was simulcasted on every network mm. live. Wall to wall. I mean, basically at work we get an alert saying usually whenever the network's gonna break in for a special report, we get the heads up. It was at, supposed to happen at high noon. It was supposed to happen at high noon. It did not. No. Everybody had to sit around and kill time They're for like never a half on hour. <laughs> well, waiting for high noon. President comes on. He comes out full steam ahead. And then he's like into this thing like 15 minutes, and he just totally stops, and he ducks down under the We're podium like, What here. is he doing? He's ducking under the podium. Thank you. He says, thank you. He's completely out of the camera frame right now. Oh. oh. He says, oh. They don't have water. That's okay. And then he stops, and I don't... I mean, I can't describe what this How is like. How low did he go? By the way? <laughs> well, he's a healthy man. I can't describe what this is like to watch because you've never seen a president completely stop when all weird. of the cameras, all of the press are on them. It's not like this is something that gets edited. This no, is... this is live. What? So someone says, someone, someone's probably like, you, you want a bottle? Here's my water. No, no. It's, hey, it's right down next to you. Oh, okay. He hadn't even seen it yet. Oh, okay. We've talked about this before. Oh, that's he, right. He yeah, doesn't he notice missed, stuff. He doesn't He yeah. just is like super focused. Oh, it's okay. Oh. There's a oh. thing of water right there. Oh, okay. To his left, or whatever it would be. It's a Fiji water. He opens by it. The, by the way, it this was, is uh, national. Te- this is on every television. And you network. know why he probably didn't open it over the podium? Because I think there's flat screens there on top yeah. of the podium. So yeah, he, there is. So at least he was conscious not to get the stuff wet. But this is a lot of awkward. This is twenty this is seconds weird. of yeah. He then does this weird puckering thing. Yeah, and then and the, ah, it was. And then this weird. Did you hear the the the, the, the clicks? The, the, well, the, the camera yeah. like wave. Yeah. And now he's closing the water back up. Japanese manufacturers, Toyota and Mazda, announced that they will be opening a new plant in the United States that will create 4,000 jobs. We also signed agreements between our nations to enhance infrastructure development, increase access affordable energy, and advance our foreign policy goals. To- there was even a few more like weird like sips of the water moments, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean... And so Chris and I were talking like, you know, the whole Marco Rubio thing. And Rubio just recently tweeted out about it, uh, you know, about uh, the president's technique and everything. It it was very weird and awkward. And it also felt like, why did this have to happen right now? Yeah. Like he just got It was back. like a capper. It was like it was to cap off the trip, I think. Yeah. It was very weird. Yeah. So um, I was watching the news today and uh, – I, I followed a particular story only in written text. You ever yeah. you ever done this where like you follow like the you, pre, uh, Trump has a press conference and you follow the transcript and you read the transcript and you're like oh okay and then you file that away. I think I have a link to it in the show notes too. Right. And then a day later, a news report comes out about it and you're like, well, wait a minute. If you read the transcript. This is obviously false. Begin with those controversial remarks from President Trump over whether Russia meddled in the 2016 election. Uh-oh. The president sparked confusion and criticism with comments he made to reporters following a private meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the APEC summit in Vietnam on Saturday. When asked if Russia's attempt to interfere in the U.S. election came up in the conversation, Trump responded, every time he sees me, he says, I didn't do that. And I believe, I really believe that when he tells me that, he means it. The president also criticized members of the U.S. intelligence community, saying, quote, I mean, give me a break. They are political hacks. You have Brennan, you have Clapper, and you have Comey. 
So you look at that and you have President Putin very strongly, vehemently, says he has nothing to do with them. Now, you are not going to get into an argument. You are going to start talking about Syria and the Ukraine. A day later, Trump appeared to walk back those comments after facing sharp criticism from both Republicans and Democrats alike. So then clarifying his remarks during a press conference with the Vietnamese president on Sunday, Trump said, quote, as to whether I believe it or not, I'm with our agencies, especially as co- currently constituted. Not wait, leaving wait. it there. The pre- All right. <sighs> you know, everybody... I wouldn't say everybody. There, there are a segment of our audience that accuses me of, you know, oh. being slanted either way. Just look at what the president said. Okay, there's no fake news there. There's direct quotes yeah. from the president. Now, and and on top of that, I'm sorry. On top of that, Uh-oh, you have up. Putin, yeah. who is a former uh, KGB agent. Oh, you're doing that line though. But, but it's true. Is that not true? Was he a true. former agent? Okay, it is true. Our agents, our agents, supposed to lie. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, they're spies. They're right, spies. exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. he's going to believe a spy. No, I, know. I agree. Right, I'm just saying. I agree. I'm just saying. Now, the only – not a defense, but uh, – The other angle. If you read the transcript, it, okay. is, it is almost five to ten minutes of discussing North Korea. It's all about North Korea. It's all about North Korea. It's about stopping North Korea. It's about working together with different nations. And then – he gives his whole pitch, and all of the press questions, every single one of the press questions, is about Russia. Russia, 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 meddling with the election, Russia this. And they ask him the same question three or four times, and it's the fourth time he answers that they run with that answer. So the first few times, it's like, yeah, you know, he says he doesn't believe he meddled, but, you know, what does it matter? What does it matter what he says? I'm not there to argue with him. I'm there to get a resolution on Ukraine and Syria. And then they they ask him literally the same question again, and he answers it again, and then he answers it a third time, and then he answers it a fourth time, and it's that fourth answer where he's like, yeah, he believes it, like, and then that's the one they run with. So he answers it. He answered it pretty good the first, like, two or three times. Then he should just shut up. Then well, but they don't stop. No, and no, then that's like, what they run with, right? Well, well, then, 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 what he needs to do is say, "I've already answered your question." Yeah, you're right. We, he, yeah, he, he yeah, need, you're right. He needs to be smart about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He feeds him. He keeps going. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I totally agree. It, with you're that. you're digging your own hole there. Yeah. Yeah. It, stop but, it. But it was funny though. The only reason I bring this up is because I read the transcript first, and then a couple days later, I saw the news reports about it. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you read the transcript, it's really like, yeah, well, of course he's going to say that. He's Putin. You know, like it's not like Trump's buying into it. But then right. it's like the fourth time, like, I don't know. My point is, is they just they're so single minded because the whole thing's about North Korea. That's what the whole press conference was about. And he's talking about like some good plans for North Korea. And the whole thing gets butt fucked by these reporters who won't stop obsessing over Russia. And it's 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 so frustrating because you can see like he's trying to address one thing and they will only talk about another thing. And then what gets all of the coverage is the one dumb answer he gives. In like a 25-minute press conference. Right. And then to make matters worse, for whatever reason, the White House won't let the audio of that event go out, probably because they would just play it over and over again. Uh, And then, you know, so the couple other things that Trump said on this whole trip that was weird is like, yeah, well, you know, the reason why Putin and I get along is because we got great chemistry. You know, Obama and Putin, they didn't have chemistry. Could you once and for all definitively, sir, uh, yes or no, say whether or not you believe 
that President Putin and or Russia interfered in the election. What I said, I'm surprised that there's any uh, conflict on this. What I said there is that I believe he believes that, and that's very important for somebody to believe. I- he okay now. It's, <laughs> no, I know, I know, but that is what he said. He yeah. said he, what he said initially was, well, Putin believes they didn't have any involvement. He believes that. I don't care. I want to focus on Ukraine and Syria. That was his first answer. That's decent. It's not great. And you're right. The next four times, he shouldn't have said fucking shit. Yeah. He should have just said, refer to my first answer. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I believe that he feels that he and Russia did not meddle in the election. As to whether I believe it or not, I'm with our agencies, especially as currently constituted with their leadership. I believe in our intel agencies, our intelligence agencies. I've worked with them very Strongly. Uh, there weren't 17, as was previously reported. There were actually four. Uh, but they were saying there were 17. There were actually four. But as currently uh, this is led. Also, this is also where he, where he screws up. He could just say, I, I subscribe to the current conclusion of our intelligence agencies. But instead, he kind of like – he waffles around a little bit. Very strongly. Uh, there weren't 17, as was previously reported. There were actually four. Uh, but and I say it's actually three because the fourth would be the Office of Intelligence, which is sort of like the management office. They don't actually perform intelligence investigations themselves. So technically they are an agency, but they don't perform it, um, investigations themselves. They just collate the findings of the other agencies. So he says four. I say technically it's three. They were saying there were 17. There were actually four. But as currently uh, led by fine people, I believe very much in our intelligence agencies. If I could throw a little bit of a change up. Now, at the same time, uh, I want to be able, because I think it's very important to get along with Russia, to get along with China, to get along with Vietnam. To get- I don't disagree with that either along with lots of countries because we have a lot of things we have to solve and frankly russia and china in particular can help us with the north korea problem which is one of our truly great problems so i'm not looking to stand and start arguing with somebody i do like that he appreciates the fact that north korea is legitimately out of all this stupid bullshit we talk about north korea is legitimately like a real problem he faces like I'm glad that he at least acknowledges this is one of our true problems is North Korea. Right. He's yeah. he needs to do something with that. It's on his administration. When there's reporters all around and cameras co- recording and seeing our conversation, I think it was very obvious to everybody. I believe that President Putin really feels and he feels strongly that he did not meddle in our election. What he believes is what he believes. What I believe is that we have to get to work, and I think everybody understood this that heard the answer. We have to get to work to solve Syria, to solve North Korea, to solve Ukraine, to solve terrorism. I see when you hear when you hear him in his full context, it to me seems much more reasonable. Totally, I agree with that. Um, I don't know. I it's really it was it's like this Russia stuff is dominating so strongly that. I don't think we should stop talking about the Russia investigation altogether, but it's like you have to make room for what's actually happening too. Um, and in the meantime, you can take certain – like you can take the caricature of Donald Trump and you can use that to cause concern about maybe like his access to nukes. President Trump closely followed wherever he goes by a military aid with the nuclear codes. That's what worries some senators. The president of the United States – 
is so unstable, is so volatile, he might order a nuclear weapon strike that is wildly out of step with U.S. national security interests. But ever since Harry Truman was president after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if a president wants to launch an attack, no one can stop him. Not his defense secretary, not Congress. That's 100% inaccurate. That is absolutely, completely false. The military has the option at any point in time to decline any order that they feel is not lawful. So they actually, the military... As creepy in some ways it's, as this it's a, is. It's a chain of command thing. Like, they have uh, the right to decline a military uh, nuke strike. Like, for example, the movie Crimson Tide. You know, the, uh, the first officer says, no, I will not concur with your orders yeah. under Navy regulations. Yeah. There you go. And so this, this, when they say no one can stop him, that's not actually true at all. The military could say, well, sorry, Mr. President. I think part of the reason why they don't want to mention that either is then it, it undermines, like, it, maybe it, it's starting to paint a picture of militaristic control with oh. the militaristic oh, cabinet. Oh, I wonder. Yeah, we wouldn't, want to, we wouldn't want to touch on that, would we? Well, and that's something that, yeah. honestly, that they've painted that picture. Yeah. But GE filming. doesn't want us talking about that. Raytheon doesn't want us talking exactly. about that. Boeing doesn't want us talking right. about that. Yeah. And Nagasaki. If a president wants to launch an attack, no one can stop him. Which is false, actually. Not his defense secretary, not Congress, not the military officers who would fire the missiles. The president has the sole authority to give that order, whether we are responding to a nuclear attack or not. Once that order is given and verified, there is no way to revoke it. So here's what's going on, and I don't know which one it is. I'd like, to, I'd like your take on it, Chase. Either the Democrats think that the American public is so stupid that they can hold these hearings and they can make everybody afraid of Trump's ability to launch nukes. That's that's option number one. Or option number two is they themselves are so stupid that they don't understand how the U.S. government works and they don't understand the fundamental power structure that is in place for our unique ability to destroy the world. Like there's a few things the U.S. government can do that would actually destroy the world. Nukes is it. And they don't even have the basics of how that fucking process works. So either A, they're trying to fool the American public and scare them about Trump's ability to control nukes, or B, they are so uninformed that they probably shouldn't be in government. Which one do you think it is? I think it's a part of A. And a part of C. And the C part is to try to use the guise of Trump to craft new law. To, to reduce to, power from the presidency? To reduce power from the presidency. Oh, but and, would they want that if, say, their own guy was in office? I don't think they would. No, I think so because you you look at the kind of power that our Congress uh, structure has right now. Uh, there's a lot of captured agencies that are basically running the show and how they want to run the show. And so when you have more and more of your own people in there and you can control your own things, you won't even need the president. You can just do your own thing. Yeah, but could you imagine if Congress, which is full of lobbyists and lawyers, was responsible for responding to a strike? We would die. We would die by the time they'd come to any kind of conclusion. They still haven't authorized the military action in Afghanistan or Libya or Iraq. Like, this is all under the president's authority and the AMF. Like, they have no say in it. They are impotent. They are fundamentally impotent when it comes to our war machine, and now they think they can control our nukes? I'm going to read this from one of our chatters who just uh, popped it in, and I I think this is a nice time to bring it in. So this is from Omnipotence, and he says – and this is directly from the National Command Authority – 
about firing nukes. And this is only the president can direct the use of nuclear weapons by the United States Armed Forces, including the single integrated operational plan. While the president does have unilateral authority as a commander in chief to order that the nuclear weapons be used for any reason at any time, the actual procedures and technical systems in place for authorizing the execution of a launch requires a secondary confirmation under a two-man rule. There you go. As the president's order is subject to secondary confirmation by the secretary of defense. Right. If the secretary of defense does not concur, then the president may, in his sole discretion, fire the secretary. The secretary of defense has legal authority to approve the order but cannot veto it. So basically, you have that concurrence, but at the end of the day, it is true. Yeah, he can go for it. Right. But then, well, then, but then you have the old, like you were saying, the old other stuff. The well, military has the, right. uh, I, I'll play, you yeah. know, I have a clip. Thanks for but posting that. On I would me. have to dig, uh, but I do have a clip um, where they, uh, you know what? This is a pretty important conversation. Maybe I should just go find this. I was going to only play this on the live stream, but uh, so here, I will find, here is. On the other side. This is a PBS. Uh, this is a PBS news piece, and they are. This is Senator Bob Corker, and he's interviewing um, a uh, Air Force general. Means the president has the sole authority to give that order. Today, the threat comes from North Korean intercontinental ballistic missiles. U.S. intelligence predicts they could soon carry a nuclear warhead. President Trump has threatened preventive war. They will be met with fire and fury. Like the world has never seen. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself (laughs) and for his regime. Many Americans share my fear that the president's bombastic words could turn into nuclear reality. The president has the sole authority to launch nuclear weapons, but that doesn't mean he can launch a weapon for no reason whenever he wants, said Duke professor Peter Fever, who studied nuclear command for 30 years. Where the military wakes up the president and warns him that there is about to be an attack or that we're experiencing an attack, he alone would have the authority to make the decision. But in the other context, where the president's waking up the military maybe in an extreme funk saying, I'm angry and I want something done. This... This, 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 this casting of a potential presidential scenario where Trump is grumpy um, and he's off his meds and he wants to do a nuke strike, so he calls up the Pentagon. That feels more damaging to the democracy, to to, to the stability of our government than any fucking Facebook ad that Russia might have bought. Because you are fundamentally undermining the trust that the people have in their commander and chief. I, 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 don't, I don't like the idea that anyone can order a strike <laughs> at all. So I'm not sitting here trying to be Mr. Proponent of nuclear strikes. But let me just make it clear. I don't for a second think that that, that, that guy in the White House could just call up the Pentagon and say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of Benjamin, not Netanyahu. He said some mean things. Let's nuke Israel. Guess what? No way in fucking hell is that going to happen. And you know it. You know it. You know it. You listening to this show, you know it. You know it. And this is this is damaging. This is more damaging than a lot of the stupid pretend propaganda on Twitter or Facebook. But in the other context, where the president's waking up the military maybe in an extreme funk saying, I'm angry and I want something done. In that setting, he requires the cooperation of a lot of people. That Everybody knows that when the president is in an extreme funk and just wants something done, he orders a drone strike. Everybody knows that. <laughs> saying, I'm angry and I want something done. In that setting, 
He requires the cooperation of a lot of people. That cooperation wouldn't be forthcoming if his order were illegal, said retired General Robert Kaler, the former head of U.S. Strategic Command. The United States military doesn't blindly follow orders. A presidential order to employ U.S. nuclear weapons must be legal. The basic legal principles of military necessity, distinction, and proportionality apply to nuclear weapons just as they do to every other weapon. Maryland Democrat Ben Cardin. You believe that under, because of legalities, you retain that decision to disobey the commander-in-chief? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then he's supposed to say, have you seen Crimson Tide? Yeah, and, and right. Then, <laughs> have you seen Wag the Dog? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, when yeah. I see that, I'm like, so what's all this about? Why are you holding uh, these hearings? What is this really about? Uh, is it a distraction? Is it about political stuff? Is it about 2018? What is it really about? Right. So when you hear about limiting trunks of trunks, when you hear about limiting Trump's access to the codes or the football, it's probably all for show. The reality is, yeah, the mili- you're probably right. The military's running the show. The military's running the show. Oh, and the military-industrial complex. Don't mm-hmm, forget them too. Mm-hmm. They're they're right there. That and apparently WikiLeaks. Oh, that's right. They're apparently Julian pulling Assange. Yeah, he's pulling some strings, too. Donald Trump Jr. confirms he had direct communication with WikiLeaks during and after the last presidential campaign. The organization apparently contacted him first. Last night, the president's oldest son released pages of private messages from September and October 2016. During that period, WikiLeaks published emails and documents stolen from Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. Jeff Pegues is in Washington with what we learned from Trump Jr.'s messages. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. Donald Trump Jr. doesn't believe this new information proves anything, and his lawyer essentially said there's nothing to worry about. But congressional investigators tell us that they see these revelations as more potential evidence of possible coordination between the Trump campaign and Russian operatives. This has been an election for change. The president's son, Donald Trump Jr., was in direct communication with WikiLeaks from September 2016 until July of this year. It appears WikiLeaks initiated contact. Trump Jr. released screenshots Monday of what he claims are all of the Twitter private messages between him and the controversial website. Candidate Trump frequently praised WikiLeaks during the campaign. WikiLeaks! I love WikiLeaks! WikiLeaks is amazing. The stuff that's coming out. WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks! WikiLeaks! So Twitter is... Um, <laughs> using DMs and Twitter. Twitter is the platform that just totally uh, levels the playing field. I swear, like people of uh, it's just like, <laughs> like everybody's on Twitter that is in this political situation. Like Hillary's on Twitter, Trump's on Twitter, uh, Julian Assange is on Twitter, Trump Jr. is on Twitter. Everybody's on Twitter. It really is amazing. Well, so, did he have the verified check mark? Because there's a little continuity. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know the so of course they'll have access to DMs. Um, and I. I, I, I'll, well, I'll play a little more of this, and I have some insights to share. The day after those comments, on October 12th, WikiLeaks sent Donald Trump Jr. a link to the hacked Democratic emails with this message. Strongly suggest your dad tweets this link if he mentions us. An hour later, candidate Trump tweeted, Very little pickup of incredible information provided by WikiLeaks. Now, he didn't include the link, which... But, is, he, but he does eventually. Well, no, Jr. does. Jr., that's what I meant, yeah. On October 14th, Donald Trump Jr. sent out the link himself, saying, all the WikiLeaks emails are right here. 
that same day, then vice presidential. Yeah, so there was Junior a little bit later. What do you think about this? Well, um, it is super disappointing as far as WikiLeaks goes. I'll, I'll get to that. Oh, so, okay, all right. Um, I'll let you set it up some more. Yeah, a little, a little more. Nominee Mike Pence was asked about Trump campaign contact with WikiLeaks on Fox News. Some have suggested on the left that it, all this bad stuff about Hillary, nothing bad about Trump, uh, that your campaign is in cahoots with WikiLeaks. Uh, I, nothing could be further from the truth. U.S. intelligence uh, officials determined further, that WikiLeaks was being used by the Russians to disseminate material that was stolen from Democrats. All right. So um, I do want to talk about this second, this part right here before we go into the rest of it. Officials determined that WikiLeaks was being used by the Russians to disseminate material that was stolen from Democrats. Now, the only evidence I have seen of this is that RT covers WikiLeaks positively. That's lit, that's the extent of the evidence that I see that WikiLeaks so has any connection to Russia. So it's interesting to know what were CBS's sources on that. There's never been there's never been any public evidence that WikiLeaks has any association with Russia. Never. That's never been proven. That's never been shown. It's never been demonstrated. It's never been implied. It's just, well, I mean, it's been implied, but it's never like, there's never been like, we have fingerprints. Officials determined that WikiLeaks was being used by the Russians to disseminate material that was stolen from Democrats. Now, here's the problem is I have read that report. I have read the report that 17 agencies, which turned out to be three agencies, signed off on. I read highlights of it on this show to you, the audience, and nowhere in there ever at all is there any connection between Russia and WikiLeaks. I'm not even saying it's not possible. I, I, at this point, I'd buy it. I just don't see it. And it is a key point to this. It is a fundamental aspect. Nothing could be further from the truth. U.S. intelligence officials determined that WikiLeaks was being used by the Russians to disseminate material that was stolen from Democrats. There are three open investigations into Russian campaign meddling on Capitol Hill. Congressman Eric Swalwell. He's demonstrated that he and other campaign members were willing to do whatever it takes to work with the Russians to get dirt on their opponent, Hillary Clinton. I would say 2016 was was a was a dirty, dirty, dirty run because you could see that initially the Republicans, Free Beacon and others, were willing to do whatever it takes to defeat Trump and hire Fusion GPS. And then Hillary was willing to rig the entire DNC from an organizational structure perspective, from a superdelegate perspective, from a media coverage perspective, and hired the Fusion GPS firm. They were willing to do whatever it takes to win. But one part that I, I still I'm having trouble with is, you know, Pence and his interview with Fox. Well, I bet Pence didn't know. I buy that. I don't know if I do because I mean he he's involved in the mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah, here's what my why theory... would he why would he be left in the dark on here's all why. the on, on because the campaign you got you got you got Trump Jr. You got Trump. You got you got Steve Bannon. Maybe Manafort. Probably not. But you got like this core group. Eventually, it's it's Rance Priebus. But initially, you have this core group of the Trump team that truly gets what what Trump was about, and that was he's not a politician. That's why he won. Then why would he say and that was the group that probably knew? And, and, and so instead of saying, I bet, I bet that, that they, they don't have any connections with it. Pence was out of the well, loop, dude. Then no, then then instead of saying no, and giving a definitive answer, say I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a major difference between that. Yeah, 
because no means that he's plugged in the campaign. No, well, you can't having... say I don't know because that answer, that raises a lot of questions, right? But 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 saying no and then coming out and well, it does happen. All right, so let's keep going. Let's yeah. finish this clip right. and let's talk more. All right. Vice President Pence said through a spokesperson last night that he was never aware of anyone associated with the campaign being in contact with WikiLeaks. Donald Trump Jr.'s attorney accused congressional investigators of leaking the messages and added, we have no concerns about these documents. Gail. So thanks. I have a theory, and my theory is based on my personal experience with coverage of things in Linux and whatnot, uh, technology in general, and it goes something like this. You start you start talking about something and you start you start nailing it from a perspective of a company. Say this in this case maybe it's canonical and all of a sudden you've clicked into their perspective and you are representing their perspective because it makes sense to you, not because they want you to. And they they notice this because all of a sudden you th- there's this person in a in a media space that's representing their perspective because they genuinely understand it, not because they've been promoted to. And that grabs the note that like a Julian would notice that and he would he would reach out and he would start working with them and say, hey, here's this information. And hey, here's this information, because this is actually how it went down. There's a super good article I have linked in the show notes on The Intercept. Well, it's it's pretty good. It is it is biased, but it is it is comprehensive. And there are people that are very fucking pissed about this because there's people that have gone to jail for WikiLeaks. Do you understand this? There are people that have gone to jail on behalf of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks to protect them and their sources and their methodologies. And now these people are unbelievably upset that Julian Assange was playing a political hack role. And if you look at the information that he published or that he sent to Donald Trump Jr., that Donald Trump Jr. published, Julian Assange, assuming he's running the WikiLeaks account, is undoubtedly offering political advice to the Trump campaign. And when you read this, it's all kinds of disturbing. Um, and, and there's also messages from Julian, Julian Assange or the WikiLeaks account that uh, suggest that perhaps that Donald Trump Jr. should leak Donald Trump Sr.'s taxes to them. Why? Why would the Trump camp want to do that? So that way WikiLeaks could look less bias. It was like oh. controlled opposition. Oh. So here, here's the here's their point. If this is a this is a quote from the DM from the WikiLeaks account to Donald Trump Jr. And this is a three part thing. And this is number three. If we publish them, it will dramatically improve the perception of our imp- impartiality. This is the real kicker. That means the vast amount of stuff that we are publishing about Clinton will have a much higher impact because it won't be perceived as coming from pro-Trump or pro-Russia source, which the Clinton campaign is constantly slandering us with. Now, (laughs) that's ironic because he gets upset in this that the Clinton campaign is slandering them as pro-Trump when he's fucking DMing Donald Trump Jr. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right? That is the definition of pro-Trump. What I want to know is, do we really know? I know what we. I, I saw the in the chat. Well, you don't know what you don't know. But is are these all the DMs that we know about? Yeah, I who mean, knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of well, those. Okay, so this is interesting. Yeah. Um, so this came out because all of this has already been provided to a panel that's doing an investigation. Yeah, and a page of that did get leaked to the press. So all of this has already been gone over. Um. And 
and and he, I have an example of like some political advice. This is from uh, this is from the uh, WikiLeaks account again. Hi Don, hope you're doing well. In relation to Mr. Assange uh, and Obama and Clinton, they placed pressure on Sweden, the UK, and Australia to illicitly go after Mr. Assange. It would be real easy and helpful for your dad to suggest that Australia appoint Assange ambassador to DC. <laughs> For Australia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really – and then they give him a quote. They give him a suggested quote that Donald Trump could say. And they try to phrase it in a Donald Trump uh, language. Like they're trying to give Trump a line. A script. Quote. This is something that they think Donald Trump should say. It's quote. really a tough, smart guy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. – that's really a tough, smart guy. Yeah, you should do this. About, about, a most, about, a most, about the most famous Australian you have or something similar. Yeah. That won't do it. They won't actually go for it. But it'll send the right signals to Australia, the UK, and Sweden to start following the law and stop bending it to uh, interrogate themselves with the Clintons or integrate themselves with the Clintons. And then he gives a link for, Justin for uh, justiceforassange.com. What really disturbs me about this is he's He's actually giving a sentence to the Trump campaign. Say this. They don't ever say it. They don't ever act on anything he actually asked them to do ever, which is impressive, well, except, except for the tweet. Yeah, except for the tweet. But, but Trump himself, he that, that was – have Trump tweet this. Trump never actually tweeted the link. But he did tweet shortly after the information was leaked though within what, 15 minutes. He didn't put the link in. Or like an hour. In. It was yeah, like an hour. Yeah, yeah but he yeah. didn't put the link in. But he did right. – but he – it was almost pretty quick response. So uh, Kim.com tweets, and I kind of agree, uh, who's surprised, really? He doesn't like Hillary, Julian Assange. She wanted to assassinate him with a drone for publishing the truth. And uh, he's fishing for information like any good editor. And what he's talking about is, is he, su- he suggests that Julian Assange asking for Trump's taxes was like him like befriending Don Jr., trying to trick him into giving him the taxes so like that a good cop, it. bad cop kind of yeah. a thing. Like yeah. it was all a head game. You know, I, I could kind of see that too where, you know, he's quote-unquote playing both sides and he doesn't yeah. really care. I mean, yeah, he doesn't like Hillary, but, you know, he's just going to he's just gonna throw out the dirt that needs to be thrown out. I, I really don't like uh, I really don't. But like it's very this. slimy. I don't like. I don't no. like WikiLeaks getting political. I like them publishing. I like them being a transparency organization that publishes everybody's secrets. Which goes to show you, Chris. Which gets kind of worrisome that you know an organization that you know we've touted on the show, like you know this is great. We're getting open and clear truth. That them themselves seem and appear to have a bias. Right. But the information, if it's accurate, is information that definitely right. should be public. And, and and that's where I think we, we need to be very careful, not just what we do here, but all of us, is instead of it's so quick and easy to deflect and go, all right, well, th- well, Trump did this, or so, but Hillary did this, or Hillary did this, so, so Trump did this. We need to focus on the, the truth of the information that's being well, presented. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, is maybe Julian Assange the 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 hero of the 2016 election? Like, if it wasn't for Julian Assange, Hillary might have won. If he wasn't publishing these emails and didn't coordinate with the Trump campaign and help them, Hillary might have gotten into office. And I think we probably would have been worse off. Having a Parkinson's patient, patient in office would make Donald Trump's tramp, uh, Twitter tantrums look mild. I have a clip in the overtime about how Hillary melted down. She completely melted down election night. And she started throwing stuff. She started yelling at people. I've, uh, um, and it's pretty well sourced. And I have it in the overtime. 
I, I don't think she's mentally fit to run for office. And you've look, you look at how she's handled her loss. Oh, God. It has been without grace. It has been without actual proper reflection. Do you think that possibly is, be, is because of the fact that President Trump still likes to bring up the election, still likes to bring up the amount of electoral votes? But, and, and that common courtesy where previous presidents winning yeah. would not bring up the election. Imagine a scenario where Hillary Clinton's What Happened book came out and it was brutally honest about how the public viewed her as a corrupt politician, as the public viewed her as a liar, how that she had really low turnout for her events, about how she, the Clinton family for years now has just gained a reputation for being super corrupt and murdering people. Like imagine for a moment – just imagine a scenario for a moment where her what what happened book came out and it was it was completely accurate. It would be devastating for the Democratic Party, but you would walk away and go, "Wow, she really realized what went wrong." Like she is an intellectual she woke, person. She, she woke up, right? But what you see now instead is this it's selfishness. It, it's you it's see this ego. super denial. Yeah, that, that makes that. That feels like you know how George Bush was the decider, how he wanted to stay the course. That it makes like that kind of pig-headed uh, uh, doggedness seem um, childish compared to what she has going. Yeah. So imagine for a moment that if she was running the country, it was weird. I was having a conversation with my coworker today, who um, is 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 firmly Democrat, and you know he's like, well, the reason why Trump won it was because of Hillary. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, you know, they, you know, he was like, you know, Ber- Bernie could have. Been there. Yep. Hell, a can of paint might have won. Joe Biden would have won. Yeah, you know, and, creepy and, and, Uncle Joe. <laughs> I know, but it, but it, it, her ego got so in the way, and DNC was vulnerable, like you said. You know, where they were broke. They were broke from they Obama. Broke. You got Clinton Cash here sitting over here saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to take care of you, but if we're going to take care of you, you, you need to make sure." That you get the super delegates behind us, yeah. You you uh, kind of push out Bernie because well, he's and they had uh, and... they had Hillary for America, and they had the uh, I'm forgetting the other one, but it was like a, a I'm with her. They had two different packs that were raising money before she even announced her candidacy, supposedly on behalf of the DNC, and then all of the candidates down ticket. But in reality, they were taking a lot of that money and they were using it to launder it and make it look like individual small contributions, to make it look like enthusiasm for her. So she had the superdelegates. She had the entire DNC. She had funding. She had the media. She had all of that, and she still lost to Trump. Yeah. My point is, perhaps Julian Assange... While perverting WikiLeaks into a political weapon, a, a partisan weapon, did a favor. Yeah. Like imagine – I got to be honest with you. If the Unfilter show had like, I don't know, 25 million downloads a month and we were just like this massive media force, I would have been tempted to use my position to try to stop her from being elected. I'm not saying I wanted Trump, but I also didn't want her. I didn't vote for either one of those two. Right. And unfortunately, because of our current political system and structure, we're kind of screwed in that respect. But I also feel like there's a to your point, we we really need to be more skeptical on this show because you can't even take WikiLeaks. You can't take any right. of it on face I mean, value. We, we, we're, you know, we're so quick to get, you know, uh, and, you know, I think we're all guilty of this. All of us of, of confirmation bias and living within our bubbles. And, you know, one of the things is you need to. I don't know. Maybe it's RT. You know, I don't know what the slogan is or who has it. Like question everything or question, question more. more is RT's. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, we need that's a good slogan. We need to question more. We everything. Need, everything. RT, all of it. Question me. WikiLeaks, question Chris. Yep. Question all of we our do. stuff. And we it, need to be more skeptical on this show. We and, need to think more critically. Right. And, and and dig through. Like, you know, I'll be full, fully to admit, Chris, I didn't know uh going back to Trump that uh, you know, he ans- asked and answered that question four times. Yeah, because that's not what gets Putin. reported. No. It's, yeah. But you know, it's one of those things where Thanks to the people of this show and thanks to you, you know, you dug into it and were like, well, yeah, that's only one small piece of it. He was asked four times of that question. And, yeah, he shouldn't have probably answered it that way, but that's how it was spun. Yeah. And that's where we need to be careful on both sides here, on all all these things that, you know, hey, don't just dig into – one website or two websites. Sometimes you got to dig into ten and actually yeah. find the official documentation yeah. and get the info. Yep, and uh, we uh, we've had some good uptake. I think in our unfiltered Discord room, I've seen a lot of people posting stories in there throughout yeah. the week. And hopefully, when we get something even a little off, we'll come back and pick it up. And if you don't hear us correct something every now and then, if it's not like a big story, we toss it in the overtime as well. So be sure you're checking out the overtime for that. Now, um, I want to shift gears for a moment. I want to talk about Uranium One. Okay. I'm I'm really uh, I'm of two minds of this. There does seem to be something a little fishy with the uranium one deal, and at the same time, I'm willing right now, producer Matt, uh, if you're listening, we have a new red book. Or we have a new digital red book. We do. We ha- we are have a way to keep track of things. And now. I don't think we've made a submission on air yet. We've been we've done one off air submission. We have. But I want to make an on air submission. If producer Matt's listening, you could contribute. Uh, I don't think this uranium one deal is going to touch Hillary Clinton one bit. Oh. Pfft. I don't even think you need to write it. I think you're right, man. I mean, yeah. uh, especially yeah. after what we heard and saw. No, that's early. so. That's that's my yeah. red book prediction. Now, yeah, that's a good one. Now that said, what do we always what do we always see happen with these kinds of investigations? They they turn into political witch hunts, yeah. and they they branch out, and all of a sudden they uncover all kinds of other things, connections to the Ukraine, you know. Certain money deals, like you go down the rabbit hole. When you start investigating, you go down a rabbit hole that always, if you want, leads to some kind of corruption. Yeah. So uranium one might be the um, the, um, the 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 quote unquote reason the investigation starts, but it might not end there, and it has a lot of people talking right now. Okay, and that leads us to what the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is looking into now. He's looking into the Clinton Foundation. So he has announced that he may consider appointing a special prosecutor to look at, once again, the Uranium One deal that was done in 2010. As we've pointed out, there have been all sorts of government agencies that signed off on it. It wasn't just Hillary Clinton deciding this. You know, lab- it does set off red flags when they immediately start defending. But before we go down there... Um, I'll be honest. You guys know my position on Hillary. I'd love for Uranium One to be the thing that's going to sink her. I'd love to sit here and say it's obvious that Bill took money from Moscow. It's obvious that the Clinton Foundation took money from their founders, uh, from their donors, and and then they influenced the government's decision. But the freaking problem is it was such a bigger um, overall government initiative than just Hillary Clinton. Case Shepard. Catherine Harrods on the Hill. Catherine, thank you. No, no, my name is Chris. My oh, 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 we didn't get to see if she had a prop. I bet she did. But she is holding the mic. That's kind of y- a prop. Yeah, y- technically prop. We will give that. That is a prop. Yeah, I say we give it. Republicans repeatedly mentioned and sometimes asked questions about Uranium One. The Attorney General Jeff Sessions says he needs a factual basis to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton. One has not yet been appointed. 
though Attorney General Sessions says he has asked federal prosecutors to evaluate issues presented by House Republicans, including Uranium One. Here's the exchange between Jeff Sessions and the Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. What's it going to take to actually get a special counsel? We will use the proper standards, and that's what I only thing I can tell you, Mr. Jordan. Well, I, I appreciate you can that, have your ask- idea, but sometimes we have to study what the facts are and to evaluate so, whether it meets the standard. Well said. So let me ask you this: If in fact, a special counsel. So what are the facts? What is uranium one? Uranium One is the name of a South Africa-based mining company. Back in 2007, it merged with Eurasia Energy, based in Canada. And in 2010, the mining arm of the Russian nuclear agency, Rosatom, bought controlling interest in the company. Among other places, that mining company had operations in Wyoming that amounted to what the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, or the NRC, said was at the time about 20% of uranium production capacity in the U.S., Today, the NRC says it's about 10%. Now, here's the accusation. Nine people involved in the deal made donations to the Clinton Foundation totaling more than $140 million. In exchange, Secretary of State Clinton approved the sale to the Russians, a quid pro quo. The accusation first made by Peter Schweitzer, the senior editor-at-large of the website Breitbart, in his 2015 book, Clinton Cash. The next year, candidate Donald Trump cited the... Now, I feel like I feel like the tossing around of Breitbart is sort of like a like an accusation almost these days. It's like it's it's a loaded. Oh, Breitbart. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. That's the alt right. Oh, shit. Oh, no. But Clinton Cash is a legitimately well-researched book that I have read and I've recommended on this show before. Clinton Cash, if you want to check it out, it's also available on Audible. It's available on Kindle. You can get it however you want if you're probably on uh, the Pirate Bay. The thing is, is that um, there are a couple of odd timing issues with this. I'd say mostly around Bill and not so much around all the other things that get all the attention, which Shep is about to talk about. Accusation as an example of Clinton corruption. Hillary Clinton's State Department approved the transfer of 20% of America's uranium holdings to Russia, while nine investors in the deal funneled $145 million to the Clinton Foundation. That statement is inaccurate in a number of ways. First, the Clinton State Department had... Full stop, full stop. Wait, this is Shemp? On Fox. Shep, I'm about to lose my contract. <laughs> calling out Smith. the president saying, that's not accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's not, he's not calling him a liar, but he did say, what did he say exactly? $145 million. You know what else strikes me about this is it seems like Trump was really, um, hold, hold on, listen to Trump. Like, he is laying down data. Uh, he is laying down numbers. He, is, he, was, he memorized this information. Department approved the transfer of 20% of America's uranium holdings to Russia, while nine investors in the deal funneled $145 million. That is a lot of specifics for him to nail. Are you sure he's not reading anything? He's looking in one direction and just kind of focusing. I'm not sure. I mean, it wasn't common during his campaign speeches, but yeah. If if, if that's off the top, very, very well done. To the Clinton Foundation. That statement is inaccurate. Inaccurate, what he calls it. <laughs> so it's a lie. Um, or it's misspoken. Yeah, I'm not sure. In a number of ways. 
First, the Clinton State Department had no power to veto or approve that transaction. It could do neither. Here's how it does work. By law, when a foreign company wants to buy anything with potential national security implications, an interagency committee of the federal government must approve it. The committee was given a broad mandate under President Reagan to advise the president on foreign investment transactions. That committee is called CIFAS, or the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It includes nine department heads. The Secretary of the Treasury is, is the chairperson. The rest are the heads of the Departments of Justice, Homeland Security, Commerce, Defense, State, and Energy, plus the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative and the Office of Science and Technology Policy. That's CIFAS. The nine department heads all approved the sale of Uranium One. It was unanimous, not a Hillary Clinton approval. We don't know definitively whether Secretary Clinton participated at all directly. The then Secretary of, uh, of State... I should say Assistant Secretary of State Jose Fernando, represented State on CIFAS. He says she did not reporting that the secretary never intervened. Further, neither Secretary Clinton nor the committee as a whole could stop any deal of this kind. The committee members evaluate a sale of anything potentially related to national security. By law, if one member objects, the president and only the president can veto such a transaction. Yeah, so really, this should be all pinned on Obama, right? It, it, I mean, yeah, that's it, what that's what they're this should saying, be Obama's right? uranium one deal, not Hillary's. Just just a side note, uh, a lot there's there's an article, a few articles about it. You know, obviously with Shep, you know, this is kind of against the Fox norm, right? The Fox News norm. A lot of the viewers started just just railing him, like you know, oh my god, you know, you should just go over the CNN throwing that crap out there. What bothers me about that is, I know there's probably some out there watch, listening and watching, like you know what, I can't believe you're playing that. You know, it's about factual information yeah. and getting the word out there. And just yeah. because maybe you personally don't like somebody and uh, their politics or their shenanigans or, or both doesn't doesn't yeah. negate the fact that there's tr- true is true well, here's the reality regardless yeah. is uh that this this uranium um mine in Wyoming was 20% of the US's uranium supply when this deal was being talked about but yeah. today now with other discoveries it only represents 10% it's only it's it's so it's it's lost it's lost 10% of its of its total so now it's 10% of the US's uranium are we still as upset are we still as upset? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, and in, you know, I also, Axiom brings up a point too. What about the 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 payout uh, to the Clinton Foundation? Did that happen? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So I mean, there's still. So, th- yeah, and that's where I go. Is like, are, are so are we to assume that Hillary didn't have like a lot of political influence where she could she could she could politically work with other uh, elements of government and she could apply pressure to get them to go with her direction. I think it'd be naive to say that if Hillary Clinton decided we're going to go a direction on a particular topic um, and and you wanted to be the agency that went against her, that's probably political suicide. When you have – think about this for a second, guys. The reality – and this is is awful, but the reality is that when Hillary was in office, it's like having a Kardashian in office – Hillary Clinton is a celebrity, especially in the political space. In D.C., who's a bigger celebrity than the Clintons? The current president, Obama, and that's about it. There's, she's royalty in the government. She's the former first lady. 
She's a former senator, and now she's the Secretary of State. If you want to go against her, (laughs) have fun. Yeah, that's probably going to work out real good. So there is probably some logic in saying that if Hillary decides we're going this way, then a lot of the other governments, it, the, the lower levels of government, probably yeah. fall in line. Right. I could I could subscribe to that to a degree. Right. I still don't think there's enough fire with this Uranium One deal. No, and I, I don't believe there is either. I mean, yeah, there's there's some weird shadiness. I, I will fully agree Especially there. Especially Bill getting paid unbelievable yeah. millions for those speeches. Loads of cash, absolutely. But in looking at the, the straight facts of the story as of right now, I mean, you can't. You just can't do it. I guess what – you know, Chase, for me what it is, it's like why this? Why is it this? Why not the- – Oh, you know the answer. You know the answer, man. No, I, what I'm saying is there is legitimately way stronger cases to make against the Clintons. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Why? Just look at the legal status of the Clinton Foundation. It's all, it's all based on the Clinton Library. It's 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 a house of cards, if you will allow that use. It is a house of cards. The Clinton Foundation, there are so many tax aspects that they have either misrepresented over and over again when they've been audited, they have failed to disclose, or they haven't properly registered that if you really wanted to go after the Clintons, there is so much just within the Clinton Foundation that you could do it, like stuff that is obviously breaking the law. You could Al Capone that shit if you wanted to. But instead, they go after Uranium One. And the only thing I can figure, dude, is that Uranium One is like this political um, name brand that they can throw around on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC. And they can they can they can get people talking about it and they can use that to then find out all of these other things, just like the Russia investigation has found out that Manafort was taking money from the Ukrainian government. Nothing yeah. to do with Russia, right? But, you know, you, 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 get a, you get an investigation going and all of a sudden you start finding all this other related stuff. And that's the only angle I can really see here that makes any sense because the people that are pushing this, they know how this game works. They know how this game works. Yeah. Just like the ISIS game. You're on Filter Show. I am really proud of us, Chase. Yeah. Because we have been, I think, on the right side of our ISIS coverage since the very first episode where we ever talked about ISIS. Because it's it's been a creation that has come since the show has been on the air. There was a time in this show pre-ISIS. ISIL. IS. Dash. And now there is a post. All of those things. That's right. And um, recently, Donald Trump just said it today. Recently, we've been kicking ISIS's ass. We've been really, we've been, we've been just making win after win over ISIS. And of course, that's not a necessarily hard thing to do when you can just take the dial and you can take it from eleven and you can turn it down to five and then four and then three. When you have control over the dial, all of a sudden things go a lot better. And if you if you doubt if you doubt for a moment that the U.S. has control over the ISIS dial, then you haven't been listening to this show. A secret deal reportedly allowed some of the most notorious ISIS fighters to escape from a besieged Syrian city with their weapons. Now, how the fuck does that happen? We accidentally give them the weapons. We accidentally give them Toyota trucks. We accidentally give them food. We accidentally give them communications equipment. We accidentally send CIA agents there to train them. We accidentally give them U.S. cash. And then by some crazy bureaucratic mistake we accidentally allow them to flee a war zone Uh with their weapons 
All accidents, my friends, accidents. A secret deal reportedly allowed some of the most notorious ISIS fighters to escape from a besieged Syrian city with their weapons. Our partners at the BBC say 250 fighters were permitted to leave Raqqa. They got out with 3,500 family members to ISIS-controlled territory. Mm, This is what you call a deal. And this is how we were able to knock ISIS all of a sudden, is because we just spun our operation down. Now, the report says their convoy included nearly 50 rented trucks, 13 buses, and more than 100 ISIS vehicles. Ten tr- hey, Chase, yeah, uh, where does yeah, ISIS right. get 13 buses? You say each bus is probably worth $600,000. Where do they get uh, 13 buses, Chase? Uh, usually probably off of a boat, I would assume, and then just delivered and Maybe from off. Libya or something? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Trucks were loaded yeah. with weapons. The BBC says the U.S. and British-led coalition knew about the deal brokered by Syrian diplomatic forces, democratic forces, rather, and they actually monitored the exodus. I don't know what you just heard, but what I just heard was that our military and other militaries, Western militaries, just watched, watched them, them leave as they left. Here's an excerpt of Quentin Somerville's report. The world was told only a few dozen local fighters were being let go. No foreigners and no weapons. But the trucks were crammed full of fighters, some wearing suicide belts. All- they just, they're just going to go out and they're just going to continue to exist. They're good, though. They're not going to... They don't need to blow anything up. They don't... God! We're heavily armed. After days of searching, we picked up the trail at a truck stop on the outskirts of Tabka. Here we discovered the drivers, all civilians who drove IS to freedom. They'd been hired by the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces. Nice drone footage, by the way. Super nice. Yeah, very smooth. And where are they going? Oh, Turkey, probably. I, I don't know. It was the longest journey of their lives. Their trucks were rigged with IS bombs in case the deal collapsed. They'd been How do they know that? They were told? And told they were picking up only a few hundred civilians, that it would be a quick job. They ended up driving day and night for three days. This couldn't look like the Islamic State's escape to victory. So the SDF insisted there would be no flags and no banners. No, because it's not about that. They, these are hired guns. You understand what's happening here, right? These were the core mercenaries. This is it. This is what it took to fuck up an entire nation, Syria, is it took these 300 psychotic sons of bitches that we hired, that we financed, that we armed, that we gave communications and training to. And then when this, when we decided to spin this all down, we gave them safe exit. And this is, it's happening right in front of your faces. It is happening and they don't care. They're so brazen about it. The reason why there's no flag is because they never had a flag to begin with. The ISIS flag was a generic bullshit flag to begin with. It never was a serious flag. This was a creation from beginning to end, and now we're watching it spin down. And you can't, you just, there's just literally no other interpretation of it. And it, it is so offensive to see it, isn't it? Doesn't it upset you to see this? Well, yeah, I don't know if anybody heard me what I said, but I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. This is the most, this is what your this is tax dollars go to, dude. Instead, IS fighters sat boldly on top of the trucks. 
the axle on one lorry broke. It was so overloaded with IS weaponry. Why do they get to keep their guns? And why do we just, why does our military just watch them go with all of their weaponry? The Pentagon spokesman says the United States was not part of this deal, but the spokesman also points out the U.S. was not prepared to bomb buses full of women and children. Yeah, I bet. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah, because we saw all those women and children in these yeah, videos. Yeah, it just broke the axle, Chase. It broke the axle. <sighs> is it, is it, is it, I mean, I am, I am, I am, I am, I'm nearly sick by it. I'm nearly sickened by it. It is so, it is so disgusting. I'm, I'm shaking my head. I, it's. Well, it's time to level up and head into my sack. Yeah, let's if you let's will. refresh, dude. Yes. Let's get into the sack. Let's do that. Hey, Veratuna writes in and says, "Hey, welcome back, Chase. Well, not sure what other people want as he talked about, but between the BBC expose of the U.S. letting ISIS leaders leave Raqqa with assistance, why turn while turning a blind eye, and the laughable hysteria around everyone blaming everything on Russia, George Takei, Brexit. Did Dutch you see the referen- George Takei stuff? And did you see him blaming Russia? Did you hear the Howard Stern interview?" Uh, I, I have not heard the clips from the interview. I oh, do yeah. know about the Russia thing. I though. listened to the Howard Stern. He himself admits yeah. in the Howard Stern. Oh, the, yeah, the uncomfortable. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I know. <sighs> and then he then later on he has the he has the sack to blame it on Russia. People that I like are turning into people that I I don't like now. Louis C.K. <sighs> Man, I know. Let me uh, continue. Uh, what I really hope you drill down into is the absolute humanitarian disaster. That is going on in Yemen, yeah. but also the horrendous revelation that human slavery is now going on in Libya. Yes, that Libya. We came, we saw, he died. Yeah. When will the world start start making U.S. accountable for this willful destruction Ooh. of civilized countries? Ooh. Okay, so listen, Mr. Veratunda there is a, uh, a longtime Club 33 member. Yeah. And uh, he's just brought up a couple of things. that So Yemen— uh, Libya and um, also the Philippines with that guy who's going crazy over drugs, yeah. the president. These are my three top stories that are not getting enough coverage right now that I'm super annoyed about. And so I felt like since Veritunda is a longtime contributor to our Patreon page, the least I could do was to reflect his wishes and we'll play some clips to cover that. So, number 1, uh because of uh our Patreon Vertunda, we were going to cover a little bit of uh Saudi Arabia's unauthorized war in Yemen, which has just gotten a big dose of cold water here in the states. We begin this afternoon as the House of Representatives has declared the US role in the Saudi-led war on Yemen is unauthorized. The U.S. has provided military support to Saudi Arabia since the Obama administration. However, that assistance has increased tremendously under President Donald Trump. Yeah, so when Obama was in office, it started with uh, our ships off of, uh, off, right off in international water and our, and our planes right up in international air, and we were refueling Saudi Arabia's planes. Now, the backstory here, for those of you that don't remember our coverage on this, is there's a civil war, a legitimate civil war, at least from what my understanding is presently. And of course, maybe initially I might have thought Syria was a legitimate civil war as well. But at least at my current understanding, it seems to be a a party of the people has rose up. And this party of the people is 
sort of anti-West influence, anti-external government influence. It's sort of a nationalist party. And they rose up and they they overthrew the Yemeni government government that was, by the way, just happened to be pro-West, pro-Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and there is the problem, right? Because Saudi Arabia is not going to have this. They had a puppet government in place in Yemen. Now, all of a sudden, this fucking nuisance of the people that's trying to take over, we can't have this. We can't have this. And so Saudi Arabia has been trying to stop the takeover of their government, of, of Yemen's government. And you've got to go look at a map to understand why they even care. You, you just need to go look at a map if you don't understand. Yeah. And, and this has slowly escalated into one horrible human travesty after another. Washington provides weapons and logistical support to Saudi Arabia in their ongoing campaign. Here's RT correspondent Ashley Banks with more on the resolution. You know, it turns out, did you hear that uh, RT now has to register as foreign agents? Yeah. And did you see that there was three reasons why they must register as foreign agents? And I wanted to know. The CBC doesn't have to register. Al Jazeera doesn't have to register. So why did RT have to register as a foreign agent? RT has broadcast studios in the United States. CBC does not. They actually do. They do have a U.S. office. I looked into this. So well, does Al Jazeera. An office, but an actual this, right, but this no, is like a corporate broad, right, broadcast they, studio. <clears throat> right. But they uh, Al Jazeera, CBC, and RT America all have, corp, have U.S. companies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I uh, one of the reasons that was there's three reasons, but the one that stood out to me and the one that I thought might stand out to you as as to why RT had to register, and I'm not even necessarily saying they shouldn't have to, by the way, because obvious it's obvious where their funding comes from here. I mean, so let's <laughs> let's not pretend like they're like the bastion of independent journalism, right? Uh, but the but the reason really fucking bothered me, and it's because they hosted third party debates. What? Really? Yeah. That's that was the one of the citing factors as to why RT had to register as foreign agents is because they gave a platform to Jill Stein and your good buddy uh, Gary Johnson. That creeps me out. That is a little creepy. Anyways, yeah. now when you hear this kind of coverage, you can understand why we would want to try to slow them down. The resolution passed by the House of Representatives publicly acknowledged the Pentagon has been sharing information and refueling warplanes that Saudi Arabia and other allies are using to attack Houthi rebels. All right. So there was number one. Now, just to finish out Veratunda before we finish the mail sack, because I know this is going to be a really long mail sack. Uh, the situation in Libya. Did you read that? Did you read that part of the email? Yes, that Libya. We seem we came. We saw he died. Talking right. about the human uh, slivery, uh, this slavery going on. This is awful, and you got to give a tip of the hat because it's really being exposed by CNN. And a lot of times here on this show, we'll shit all over the face of CNN, but they are legitimately doing some genuine reporting. They got down and they recorded video of a human auction in Libya. By the way, this is in the quote-unquote liberated area of Libya liberated by Hillary Clinton and the United States. A man addressing an unseen crowd. Big strong boys for farm work, he says. 400. Yeah, $400. 700. 700? That's less than the new iPhone 10. You can you can buy a human being for less than the new iPhone 10. 
800. The numbers roll in. These men are sold for 1,200 Libyan pounds, $400 a piece. I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know how legitimate this is, but uh, I've heard more and more stories about slavery in Libya ever since uh, the U.S. actions there. So, yeah, very tuned. I wanted to cover that in the show because you have been a longtime patron and we take all the input from our patrons super seriously. Yeah. And it's something I want to do more and more. If you're in Club 33, we'll try to put more clips in the show here. So thank you, Veritunda. And the Libya stuff is is just super disappointing. But to go back to the Yemen stuff just for a moment, that is something this show is tracking. We're not actively covering it every single episode, but in the background, we have been collecting clips for like a Yemen special that we might do if the if interest builds. Our gut sense of the matter is there's just not a lot of interest in the unfiltered audience, mm. but it feels like it's changing. And so um, – Perhaps our timing will work out. We have been collecting clips about Yemen for about seven months now, and we may do a special on it at some point. We may just decide to incorporate some of that coverage into the show. Stay tuned to find out. Yeah. Uh, Sean writes in and says, Hello! I've been trying to find some decent video clips of what has been happening in the Middle East as of late with the prince of Saudi Arabia imprisoning people, imprisoning people, powerful people, and the Cold War is having with Iran in Yemen. We just uh, talked about uh, that briefly. A primer from the BBC, and there's a link there in the sack. You know what? I will refer him to last week's Overtime, where we covered some of the shit that's going down in Saudi Arabia. Essentially, the sun is taking over, and he just jailed a whole bunch of Saudi Arabia sons of bitches. One of them is believed to be one of the financiers of the 9-11 attack, too, which is interesting. And by jailed, that means they've been put in the Ritz-Carlton. So it's the (laughs) most plush jailing ever. That's all in episode 258 in the overtime section. Like a minimum security resort? Is that what they say, like office space? It's literally the Ritz-Carlton, yeah. Yeah. Uh, A.T. writes and says, Good day from down under, mites. Uh, You might have seen that Australia has just voted to legalize gay marriage with 62% voting yes. The equality campaign is calling this a landslide victory, but when you think that four out of ten people voted no, that's a sizable crunch of the population against the measure. Uh, Sometimes it's not always four out of ten. Some people just don't vote. Uh, The no camp focused on protecting religious liberty and freedom of speech, and some surveys show that up to 90 percent of voters on both sides say this was an important issue. Now that the country has been given the go-ahead, it's up to our politicians to get the laws right. You guys are my go-to every week for American news, and I hope you get enough uh, dollary dues— is it? Uh, that's a, I like it. That's like uh, that's like a musical instrument, like a didgeridoo. A dollaridoo. A didgeridoo uh, to reach the supplemental show soon. Me too. Finally, Death Mindus writes in and says, Hey, Chase, I guess I'm going to go down another path for the sack. Ever since Weinstein has was outed as a sexual predator, or something a lot of people seem to have already known, other celebrities and a couple of politicians have been put in the spotlight. The one that shocked me personally was Louis C.K. Yeah. Because I'm a fan of some of his work. I had a discussion with one of my friends who, without going into much detail, basically defended him because he, quote, asked, quote. But that turned into the discussion into where does the line stop for people using political slash workplace influence to acquire sexual favors? Interesting times. Keep up. The great work, guys. Can I can I go really meta on you? You can go so meta. <clears throat> this is just because it's, 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 it's just me, the sack. We have the high note coming yeah, up. Yeah. But um, 
I think part of the problem here is is that institutions like Hollywood or businesses like banks, in my case, and governments are um, artificial creations by our imagination at power structures. They're power structures simply because we all agree that they're power structures, right? Yeah. Like Jupiter Broadcasting is a company because you believe it's a company and I believe it's a company. And I run this company because you subscribe to the idea that I run this company. Yeah. Plus but, there is an actual legal document that says it is a company. But what's what, what gives that legal document authority? The fact that we all believe in that legal document right. and that there's a court system that we believe in. Yeah, we believe in a you know well, land of laws and you know, regulations. And, yeah. and there's a government agency that can enforce certain actions because they have incredible power now. Yeah. I would propose to you that this is not natural. That this is a creation that has just – We've all adopted as we're born into it, and we we never even stop to think if we want to subscribe to it. And when you give people artificial positions of power over other people, these perversions are unavoidable. And I I had never even really thought about sharing this story because to me it never was a big deal. Um, but in light of all of this stuff that's been going on, um, I could say it happened to me too. Uh, I, when I was 18, 19 years old, maybe, maybe 20 at the very, very oldest, uh, well, I'll just put it this way. The day I graduated from high school, I, uh, I, school got out early for, for us, probably did for everybody, I guess. Your last oh yeah, day everybody gets a half day. Seniors get out early. Oh, absolutely. And everybody walked to the bus or they walked to their cars and I walked to my car. I just recently gotten my license because I didn't, I wasn't in a big rush. I got in my car and I drove 25 minutes south to Everett. And about one o'clock in the afternoon, I parked in the parking lot of my new job. And I started my new job without even having lunch after I graduated high school. So I was literally 18 years old when I went into a full-time job. I didn't even have a 30-minute break between graduating high school and starting a new job. Dude. And I about a year or so into that job, so I was probably just over 19 years old, a boss came in, a new boss came in, and she was about 45, 46 years old. And at least three times when we were at like a Christmas event or we had just completed a merger and there was a party or the other Christmas event, or a Halloween event, actually. We had a little Halloween party for our department. So at least four times, she, she came on to me sexually. She was all over me. She, she, she was grabbing me. She grabbed my crotch. She was, on all, she was hanging on me. And she had great boobs. <laughs> she had a, she, her face, not so great. But, man, she had a great body. And as a 20, 19, 20-year-old 20 kid... I, I didn't take it as some sort of violation. I, I didn't I didn't quite take it as a compliment. I took it as a <laughs> look at that. My boss 
kind of has a thing for older guys. <laughs> and I, I told all my buddies about it and we laughed about it. I didn't own it. It didn't become my identity. It didn't be- define me. I wasn't fucking sexually harassed four times by my boss in the workplace and then became a victim. It just was something that happened to me. But now when you look at all these things that everybody's talking about, it's like, well, I guess I have a story too. But it, it does I – don't, I don't consider it a violation. In fact, some, sometimes I go, well, geez, I wonder if I should have tried to hit that. But I understand it's different for every single person. Right. And so when you see all these things coming out, it, it's extremely hard to understand what is what is like a this is a thing that happened to me and what is a this is a thing that scarred me. Right. And and that and that's where, you know, we 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 need to be considerate to to those that have been scarred and then that have had things that they've lived with for 10, 20, sometimes 30 plus years where they, they felt like they could never come forward and never say anything yeah. about it because it would be the the end of their career or something that they truly love to do and enjoy. So, uh, you know, it, it were, I guess that's one of the nice things that's going on now where people are starting to feel yeah. the empowered. I do feel like it's something that needs to share. change. Yeah, and it, it does need to change. Yeah. You know, we all... And we all have done it, all of us, when you know, when we go to our jobs and you're starting a new job and when you laugh at the sexual harassment videos or the panda <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, you know, then some of those situations you see happen in front of you. And you know what? It's there's only one story really that's kind of surprised me. And I'm and it ha- and in fact it just doesn't go away either. A new allegation of uh, inappropriate conduct against former President George H.W. Bush. In a Time magazine interview, Rosalind Corrigan says she was 16 years old when Bush, then 79, squeezed her buttocks at an event in 2003 where her father and his fellow intelligence officers met the former president. Yeah, you remember how Bush was CIA? Anyways, it now turns out that this guy has been an ass grabber for like decades. He's an ass grabber even now. In his wheelchair. He's still grabbing ass. Wow. This guy has been an ass grabber from day one. And 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 really, like, uh, what is this? This is, you got Harvey Weinstein, who's on the left, and now you got Bush Sr., who's on the right. Like, everybody's morals can take a couple of step backs now. Corrigan tells the magazine her initial reaction was absolute horror and confusion. And her account is similar to those that was shared by at least three other women who say they were inappropriately touched by Bush during similar photo ops. Spokesman Jim McGrath issued an apology on the former president's behalf in the wake of this latest allegation. Well, then everything's fine. If you, uh, if you're sorry, he's wow. sorry. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I took, I took our, I tried to take our sack super seriously this week. We tried to yeah. give it a lot of thought and get some clips in there. So, thank you to our patrons, Patreon.com/unfilter. This is a listener-supported show. We are trying to get to another milestone where we could do additional coverage. And uh, do we have any spots left in Club 33? No, we are fully packed. However, right. if you click on the Become a Patron, okay, and you go through the process, there is a link that you can click on to get an email notification when a spot opens up yeah. in Club 33. I feel like we should do something special for the current club, and then we should open up to some more. So uh, patreon.com slash unfilter. If you want to get your word in on the show, you got to be in Club 33. Boom. If you just want to give us your feedback, you want us to read it, just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Yeah. Thanks for filling the sack this week, guys. Yeah. Yeah, really. We'll Thank have you. a special turkey edition next week. 
Yeah, we've decided that we're going to try to do Wednesday night. Yeah. Even though it's the yeah, it, it might be a holiday, but we've decided we're going to try to make it work. Exactly. So let's let's wrap it up on a high note. Uh, and, and a green light at that chance. Time is running out for Bay Area cities to decide where they stand on recreational pot. That's right. Ready or not, it is legal on January 1st. We have two reports for you tonight. We begin with KPX 5's Under Mirrors live in San Jose, which just did a 180 and gave the green light to recreational pot sale. Mommy needs a joint. <laughs> <laughs> so... California has really got to get. I don't understand how they're not getting their shit together on this. You know, they they should have just you know said, hey, hey, uh, Washington, yeah, or Colorado, Colorado, Alaska, yeah, uh, Oregon, DC, or you any guys any ideas? You know how we've been having pot for ages now. Yeah, they just are really screwing this up. Len? That's right, Veronica. There was very little opposition up, to this measure that essentially Len. opens up uh, recreational use of pot and pot sales for adults only over the age of 21 as of January 1st. Jesus Lozano had to show a medical card in order to be able to buy marijuana in San Jose this afternoon. How big would you, how would you describe the size of that jar, Chase, uh, for the audio audience there? I would say that is the size of your typical jelly jar. No, it's way bigger than that. Really? Yeah, that's like a Costco size of jelly. <laughs> yeah. That's a full grip. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah, a that's full palm full. So like a Costco like like half bucket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what's in that thing? No. Keith. It's nothing but Keith. It's wow. just a jar full of Keith. Which that thing, that jar alone, has got to be worth hundreds of dollars. But soon, just like anyone else who wants to use pot recreationally, he'll just have to show an ID proving that he's over the age of 21. I see it the very same way that they do for alcohol. You know, it took a long time for alcohol to get, um, you know, legalized essentially, and I feel like it's the same way for uh, marijuana. I had a really interesting conversation with a family member um, between now and last episode. And uh, they own one of the larger uh, cannabis shops in Everett, oh. which is a, a town, what, 20 minutes south of here? Yeah. And uh, I didn't know this. So it was a total revelation to me. He talked a lot about some of the security precautions that they've had to take recently. You know, he, he had a big concern about the federal banking system and stuff like that. But um, it, it really does, you know, at the end of it, it feels just like somebody who's starting a business and learning things on their own as things come up and yeah. trying to adapt. It's it was interesting. Figure out problems and solving them. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, I'll just I'll share insights as we as we cover this stuff. But I want to talk. I want I want to spend this week talking about uh, Jeff Sessions because we we mentioned his testimony earlier in the show. We got a little more in the overtime, but there's a moment that came up with Jeff that wasn't about Russia at all. It was about pot. Marijuana is not as dangerous as heroin. Would you agree with that? I think that's correct. Well, thank you, sir. I would hope that in your enforcement that you would look at the limitations you've got. There's always an opportunity cost. And put your opportunity cost, your enforcement on mar- on, on crack, on cocaine, on meth, on opioids, and on heroin. Marijuana is the least bothersome of all. 28 states or 29 states in the District of Columbia have legalized it for medical purposes eight states in the District of Columbia for recreational purposes. Justice Brandeis famously said that the states are the laboratories of democracy. I would hope you'd look at marijuana and look at the states as laboratories of democracy and see how they've helped. There's been a lot of talk about what Jeff Sessions is going to do in regards to cannabis, and a lot of people are concerned that he's going to try to crack the F down on stuff. In states where they've got medical marijuana, they have 25% less opioid use. 
It's 25% less opioid use in states that have marijuana. I'm going to play that again so that way if you want to clip this out on YouTube or, uh, or, or maybe just in Overcast or whatever you listen on podcasts, uh, this moment here I think is worth sharing with your friends and family that they're not quite sure why should cannabis why, – why, why recreational? I mean medical, sure, but why recreational? Because once you expand availability, you start to get massive numbers of people off of opioids. And I'm going to play this clip so that way you have this for them. Mark this time in the show. As laboratories of democracy and see how they've helped. In states where they've got medical marijuana, they have 25% less opioid use. It gives people a way to relieve pain without using opioids, which inevitably leads to death and crime. And so I would hope you take a look at that. We will take a look at it, and we'll be looking at some rigorous analysis of uh, the marijuana uh, usage and how it plays out. I'm not as uh, optimistic as you. I don't know what his fucking problem is, to be honest with you. How much more data do you need? And, and then how uh, much... It's not about data to him anymore. It's not. He doesn't you, care. You said one time that good people don't smoke marijuana. Which of these people would say are not good people? Well, let me answer, explain how that me, occurred. All right. And I explain... Quickly. Uh, John Kasich, a good person. George Pataki, Rick Santorum, Newt Gingrich, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, George Bush, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Judge Clarence Thomas. Which of those are not good people? Let me tell you how that came about, Congressman. Uh, this is an interesting delay tactic that he does. So the question was, what do you do about drug use, the epidemic we're seeing in the country, and how you reverse it? Part of that is a cultural thing. I explained how... When what does he mean by that? Does he mean black people smoke pot? What does he mean by that? I, what, what's he meaning? Yeah. I became United States Attorney in, in 1981. This is your problem. Uh, and the drugs were being used widely. Yeah, yeah, the hype was really wide back then. Over a period of years, it became unfashionable, unpopular, and people were seen, and it was seen as such that good people didn't use marijuana. You know, one of the biggest uh, things that changed my perspective on cannabis, one of the biggest personal influences I had is when I was uh, doing IT consulting and it was before I did it myself. Before I was independent, I worked for a company and I just got a paycheck. It was great because they had a sales team. They had multiple IT people and I would just go in and have clients. Now, it eventually ended up that I just had a client load that was unsustainable for me. But one of the things that opened my eyes significantly, and this is a, this is a while ago, was there was three owners of this company and they were some of the hardest working guys I'd ever been with. They inspired me to work harder. And um, they all were really good at their jobs. One was super good at sales. One was incredibly good at building systems. And the other one could communicate with people in a way that made them all feel at ease about their IT systems. And at the same time, he could manage to get it all implemented. And they were all super right wing. And I, that really stood out at me because I'd never worked in a, in a business where people so openly talked about politics before because it was a small company and yeah, they were the yeah. three owners. Right, yeah. And they were all in the office together. So they were all just bullshitting about uh, – it was Bush back then. Um, and you know what was crazy? They were all pot smokers. <laughs> they all were smoking pot. And in my world, only crazy liberal hippies it's, smoke it's, pot. It's, it's do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And so that's when I realized, wow, these super productive, business-owning Republicans 
are smoking pot. And, there, and a couple of them, two of them, their wives were in real estate. And back then, there was a real estate boom. So they were making like a million bucks a year. They were like super competitive. And they were in like the – for people in Washington, you'll know what I – you know, they were in the Bothell and Mill Creek and Bellevue and northern Seattle area selling homes, right? So super lucrative home areas. And they're, they were smoking pot. They were all smoking pot. And it just totally blew my mind about, wait a minute. I thought everybody that smoked pot was lazy sons of bitches hanging out on their couch playing Xbox. Well, now, all of a sudden, these business owners and these real estate agents making a million bucks a year are all pot smokers? This can't be. And mommies that need joints? Yeah, mommy needs a joint, Jude. Mommy, mommy needs a joint. Yeah. <laughs> Now all of all of these uh, all of these um, um, federal laws are 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 a bit of a of a buzzkill for the cannabis movement. There could be one person, one hero, one advocate for the cannabis movement that could change everything, and it happens to be Paul Heyman, a twelve-year-old girl. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is being sued by a 12-year-old girl from Colorado who wants to legalize marijuana nationwide. The lawsuit comes from Alexis Bordell, whose family moved from Texas to Colorado to access medical marijuana after FDA-approved epilepsy treatments proved ineffective. The suit could potentially benefit millions of Americans who cannot legally obtain cannabis to treat their ailments. Will this be enough to get the Sessions Justice Department on board? The party panel has returned. Tom Shalhoub, Nan Hayworth, and Matt Welch. I like the idea of a party <laughs> panel, dude. I like the party panel. That's what Unfilter is. It's a party panel. Party panel. You know, speaking of parties, Chris, you have... Well, I, I, I'm a terrible segue. But anyway, talking about parties... I got a party all the time. You got party on the internet. I do. Where people can watch you yeah. and your hijinks sure. and your parties. Sure. Where can people check that out? You know, I'm going to give a plug for this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Look we just you. had a really rambunctious, fun episode yesterday that came out. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com for that. Go to patreon.com slash jupitersignal if you just want to support the whole network, not just this show. Because the reason why I mentioned that to you on Filter Audience is there may be a project in the future that I publish there initially only for the Jupiter Signal patrons. It's got nothing to do with Unfilter. It's not related to the technology, but I'm mentioning it now just in case at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. Otherwise, follow me on the Twitters at ChrisLAS. Follow the network at JupiterSignal. Yes. And, of course, our Patreon at patreon.com slash unfilter. And if you if you want to stick around, if you if you got a little extra room, we do have a great overtime coming up. But if you got to go, if you got to leave, perhaps Chase could leave you with some parting wisdom. Chase, where can people find you? If you want some Chase in your face. I, I desperately, desperately want more Chase in my face. Follow me on the Twitter, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. I do have the verified check mark. You, wait a minute. Can, can, <laughs> wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. I'm the real one. Do you think that's because of the whole Nunes versus Nunes thing? Uh, you never know. I, I think it I is. I think I started it, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start the Can I make a suggestion? Here. Yeah, go for uh, it. I think you should tweet a picture in the next couple of days of the beard. Oh, oh it will So if you want to see Chase with a beard, check out his Twitter page for that. Yes. Also check out my Discord channel at uh, discord.gg slash geekgamertv, doing some uh, train driving oh. and all my stuff on YouTube. <laughs> On Geek Gamer TV. You should play some Rust, dude. It's a lot of fun. I, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. All right. Well, if you're going to go, then there's only one last bit of advice we'll give you. Join us live. It's a hell of a lot of fun. JBLive.tv for that. And you can get the live time converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar slash contact for the contact page. And we'll see you right back here next week. week.
breaking now. The show's not over. It's the overtime. The best time? Overtime time! Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you to our new patrons this week, Takuni, Alexandra, Yon, Derek, and Luke. You get the epic name readings and the honor of sponsoring this here overtime segment. It's dedicated to you, to you, all of our patrons, patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you, guys. And we got a lot to get into today. The overtime is packed. But I feel like we've been making a difference here on the show. We've been making a difference. We're bringing change. We're changing the way the world views Nancy Pelosi. One horrible video at a time. And that's what we've been doing here in the overtime now for weeks. It's really not just Nancy. It's as you well know, if you've listened for a little bit, the documentation of the total and absolute corruption of the establishment corporatist wing of the Democratic Party, which is causing them to constantly lose important elections. Hopefully they're in an upswing right now because, uh, boy, are they a bunch of non-competing bastards at the moment. And I think part of the reason is, well, Nancy Pelosi. Events were held to focus on the injustices of this tax bill. So this is Nancy Pelosi out there rallying the troops about uh, the tax bill. And uh, she seems to get mixed up and thinks that Florida's on the West Coast. Up and down the West Coast, from New York to Florida, members and candidates and uh, people, just the people turned Yeah, oh, that's right, people. Turned out. As I say, Tuesday's elections fighting the Republicans. It's fighting them, guys. Uh, Speaker Ryan is about to brand them the most... Uh, but some of their most vulnerable suburban members with a huge middle-income tax hike. Ka-hike. Not ka-hike. Ka-hike. <laughs> Not cut-hike. Ka-hike. And in California, I say again, as I have done on a number of occasions, Doug LaMalfa, Tom McClintock, McClintock. All she says it all the time, guys. Gary Cohn. What's his title? All the time. Whatever it is. <laughs> Well, whatever it is, it has a big deal to it. of mistruths on the tax. <laughs> but here's one truth it did say. That was Schumer in the background, by the way. The moment of truth is here. There's so much to tell. It can be confusing. Just want to focus on a few key points. On a few key points. Let's keep focusing on other few key key points here. Uh, here's Nancy Pelosi giving another rallying talk to the audience where she has to tell them when to clap. One of my favorites. I want to acknowledge Larry Temple, the chairman of the LBJ Foundation Board of Trustees, of course, Ambassador Hand and Kathy McGar for their wonderful leadership. Let's, those are applause lines. <laughs> A real good speaker always has to prompt her audience to clap for her been said of inaugural addresses and the rest, I want to quote, uh, quote Lyndon Bain Johnson's inaugural address. I'm sorry, did she say Lyndon Bean Johnson? I got, I got to hear that again, because it sounded like she said Lyndon Bean Johnson. Quote, 
Lyndon Bain Johnson's inaugural address. I think I think she did just say Lyndon Bain Johnson. And uh, it, 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 you, he, to me, all of the beautiful expressions of the art, arts are humorous. Perhaps they will be tonight. Perhaps they will be tonight. Person, as has been said earlier, to receive the Lyndon Bain Johnson Liberty and Justice Award. Could you imagine being in an event, listening to her? You'd have to sit there in the audience struggling to comprehend what she's saying. Got to keep everybody focused. We got to focus on the taxes, not these other scandals. Uh, Where do you come down on this? If, If Senator Menendez is convicted, should he resign immediately? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I, I think that he will appeal if he's convicted, and I don't, I don't really want to do what-ifs about him. So we don't want to have to run through any of those scenarios. We don't want to have to consider anything like that. We might just end up digging ourselves a hole. President Trump in China. Candidate Trump said that what's happening in China trade was the greatest theft in the history of the world. And yesterday he said our trade deficit with China, which is huge, is not China's fault. You can almost hear the leadership of the Chinese government laughing from China to America. Maybe you can feel it coming through the ground because if you dig a hole here, you will reach China. I love it. I love it. I don't want it to go anywhere. (laughs) Maybe just a moment of silence, though. My colleagues right now are doing a moment of silence in the House of Representatives chambers. I respect their right to do that, and I myself have participated in many of them. But I can't do this again. I've been to too many moments of silences. I will not be silent. I haven't attended a moment of silence for a number of years because I think it's so hypocritical. Uh, that's all we do. We have a moment of silence and then we are silent. It's going to happen again. I don't know where. I don't know when. This is Tom Perez, the uh, piece of shit chairman of the DNC. You think maybe the talking memo went out? The points went out? Hey, everybody, say this. But we will get the same thoughts and prayers response from the Republicans. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the families. But, you know, I, like many Americans, uh, I'm tired of the thoughts and prayers. But I do think think you're seeing the same pattern play out here. Thoughts and prayers from Congress, a little uh, nibble of interest at legislative action. Our thoughts and prayers are not enough. We have these moments of silence, and certainly we want to be prayerful and respectful at a moment of silence. But people are impatient of that. They want action. Members of Con- How does something like this begin to spread, do you suppose? Is it a memo that goes out? Is there an email list? Or does one of the distinguished members of the pack make a bold statement and then all of the little lemmings follow it? And that's the message they go with until the next leader makes a statement. I'm inclined to think it's the latter, but who really knows? If anybody out there in media has any insights, eh, let me know. Let me know. So we talked about Jeff Sessions earlier in the show and his recent testimony, and I wanted to give you a little taste of one of the more interesting exchanges 
which I gotta say, there were not many of these, and this was maybe one of the best. Reclaim my time. Let's talk about your contacts with a. Th- oh, stop right there. Yes, he did. He said reclaiming my time. He did it. Reclaim my time. Let's talk. Did you hear it? He went really fast. He he didn't really make like a thing. Reclaiming my time. But he did it fast. Reclaim my time. Let's talk about your contacts with a foreign power. <laughs> so last year, how many interactions did you have with Russian government official Sergei Kislyak? I just need a number. Is it three? Well, of all foreign officials or just? Russian government official, Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, last year, how many interactions did you have with him? I spoke at the Republican convention. I came off the platform, and the people were there, and we chatted a moment, had an encounter. Uh, several couple months later, I believe in September, uh, he uh, asked for an, a meeting, and I provided that. Uh, I met with over uh, approximately 25 ambassadors last year, so, and I had that same day as, well, excuse me. Thank you, ahead. Mr. Sessions. Thank you. Well, as Attorney General, you have a security clearance, correct? Yes. And to get that security clearance, you submitted a security clearance application, also known as an SF-86 form, correct? That's correct. I submitted such a form when I served on active duty in the U.S. Air Force, and the you to certify under penalty of perjury that the information submitted was true, complete, and correct to the best of your knowledge. You certified your security clearance form, correct? That is correct. I'm going to, on the video screen, show you a question from that form. And it says, have you or any of your immediate family in the past seven years had any contact with a foreign government, its establishment, such as embassy, consulate, agency, military service, intelligence, or security service, etc., or as representatives, whether inside or outside the U.S. So essentially, when Sessions got clearance, I don't know if this is in case your ADD monster kicked in. When Sessions applied for his security clearance to be the attorney general, uh, he had to answer a question saying, did you have any contact with these foreign agents in the last seven years? So we're now going way beyond the campaign. The answer that you gave was no. What you just told us under oath was exactly the opposite. So I'm going to ask you, Mr. Sessions, were you lying then when you filled out the form, or are you lying now? (laughs) What I was told by my executive assistant uh, when we did this form earlier, and then again when I was uh, nominated for attorney general, (laughs) that the uh, FBI authority says members of Congress and effectively government officials meeting people on an official basis. You were not required to... So his argument is, is these, uh, these run-ins were not uh, like official run-ins. They weren't real meetings, and so he didn't disclaim them. I'm going to jump ahead just a minute. Does you get to answer any differently because you're a U.S. senator rather than, say, a young police officer? Isn't that right? Well, uh, Nothing in that question authorizes you to answer any differently. Isn't that right? I would say that... Nobody at the FBI or any other place, to my knowledge, said you left that blank. Surely you've met with some foreign officials in the last seven years. Uh, I, I've not had any private business dealings or any uh, things of that nature. My contacts would be in the normal course of let, let me ask you one senatorial of your, business. Let me ask you one of your interactions. So I thought that was a reasonable answer. You said under oath today that you had a meeting with Ambassador Kislyak of under an hour. That's pretty long. Was it more than 50 minutes? I, I doubt it was 50 minutes, but 45, it may have been. 45, 40, 50 minutes. All right. 
Did you discuss campaign campaign related items such as Ukraine with an ambassador? Well, that's not campaign related. Oh, now that's an interesting answer, isn't it? And I thought he was going to leave it right there. All right. I'm going to ask you two simple questions. Yes, we did talk about Ukraine. We actually had an argument about Ukraine because the day before, the Ukrainian ambassador was in my office making his case uh, against Russia, and I raised those issues with Mr. Kislyak, and as I referred to it, I think, the classic, uh, we did nothing wrong. I'm I'm glad you're very animated. did everything wrong. That was so let me case. ask you two simple questions, because in a sense you've already answered it. You did have communications with the Russians last year, isn't that right? Repeat that. You did have communications with the Russians last year, isn't that right? Just yes or no. I had a meeting with the Russian ambassador, yes. That's exactly the opposite answer you gave under oath to U.S. Senate. So again, either you're lying to U.S. Senate or you're lying to U.S. House of Representatives. Well, you know, the, so I, the, the, I can see both. I can see both perspectives here. He's got him on a technicality. And Sessions is like, listen, I talk to these guys as a daily part of my job. The time of the the gentleman has expired. The witness can answer any further if he chooses to. Um, I won't repeat it, Mr. Chairman. But uh, I hope the congressman knows, and I hope all of you know, that my answer to that question I did not meet with the Russians was explicitly responding uh, to the shocking suggestion that I, as a surrogate, was meeting on a continuing basis with Russian officials, and the implication was to impact the campaign in some sort of nefarious way. And all I did was meet in my office with the ambassador, which we didn't discuss anything like that. So I just uh, want to say I appreciate uh, the congressman's right. I guess he can say it's free speech. He can't be sued here. So that's uh, just uh, my response, and I'm sorry that um, that's my response. That's my response he ends it with. And then he says, I'm sorry again. <clears throat> I don't know. That was odd. Speaking of the Department of Justice and uh, Jeff Sessions, the Department of Justice is putting some cold water on AT&T's big plans. CBS News has learned the Justice Department is pushing AT&T to sell CNN as part of its merger with Time Warner. The $85 billion deal needs approval from antitrust regulators. But the focus on CNN is raising concern about political interference. President Trump has repeatedly bashed the cable channel. Fake news. CNN, fake. You are fake news. You know, I like real news, not fake news. You're fake news. Juliana Goldman is in Washington with What's at Stake. Juliana, good morning. Good morning. Well, during the campaign, President Trump promised to stop the merger on antitrust grounds, saying that it's too much concentration of power in the hands of too few. Uh, But a person familiar with the matter told CBS News that White House officials have made it clear to AT&T on multiple occasions that they're dissatisfied with CNN. And in one case, sources say that in January, President-elect Trump raised the matter directly with AT&T 
CEO Randall Stevenson during a meeting at Trump Tower. Now, the White House denies involvement in the negotiations, and the Justice Department says that AT&T itself offered to divest CNN and that the government flatly rejected it. But AT&T CEO said he never offered to sell CNN and has no intention of doing so. So sources say AT&T is preparing to take the administration to court, arguing that the deal doesn't pose any competition violations. Now, Gail, Democrats in Congress even who are opposed to the merger, like Al Franken, uh, the senator from Minnesota, say that if the Trump administration is pressuring AT&T to divest CNN, it would be a disturbing development. All right. A lot of people feel that way. Thank you very much, Juliana. Oh, yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people really, really want poor AT&T to be able to merge with Time Warner. I really want to have my ISPs and my media companies come together. A lot of people are pulling for that. I just wish that goddamn Trump would let more of these companies become monopolies, damn it. Because then we could be in beautiful situations like we are with the Equifax hack. Just gorgeous. Well, current and former executives for both Yahoo and Equifax answered questions on Capitol Hill today. The companies were called in because they suffered two of the largest data breaches in history, leaving customers' information exposed for reasons that have yet to be discovered. Former Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer and former Equifax CEO Richard Smith apologized for the hacks, while the new company heads were grilled over big-picture issues regarding customer data. Here's one exchange that stood out between Colorado Republican Cory Gardner and Equifax's interim chief executive. Mr. Barros, can you tell me who owns the information that you provide to your clients, customers? According to the existing regulatory framework, we own the information. There you go. There you go. There it is. How do you like that? That information they're talking about is all of the shit to do with your credit report and every ancillary bit of monitoring they do to get that information too. Health information, credit information, what you buy at the grocery store with your loyalty card information, the data they can buy off of your carrier They collect all of it, and they own it, and you don't get to own any of it. It's their data, and it's all about you. (laughs) It's all about you, and then they let it get stolen because they're sloppy. Sorry. According to the existing regulatory framework, we own the information. Does a consumer have any ability to say, I don't want you to have that information? They, can, they have the opportunity today or do, to unlock and unlock their file and therefore not allow anyone to have access to it. That is such a bullshit answer. That is such a So you, if you are proactive enough, can get your shit deactivated. You can get your shit locked up and that way they can't modify it. But they can still have whatever the hell they collect. But do I have an ability to say I don't want Equifax to have any information about me? I understand that that from the regulatory framework that we have today, the consumer cannot exit out of the file. So the answer is no. So I, as a consumer, uh, apply for a credit card or a, a bank loan. That institution then provides it to you, and I have no ability to stop that from happening. You can lock and unlock your file. So the answer is no, I can't stop that. And the answer is no, I can't prevent you from getting it. So whose information is this? Is it your file or is it, is it my file or is it your file? Who- uh, what about Google? What about Facebook? Whose file is it? According to the regulatory perspective, I have the information. So it's your file, not my file. So all the information about me, all the consumer information I produce, all the data, everything that I own that defines my life, 
I have no control over that. Is that correct? Other than you've got it, and I can tell you whether I want you to give it or sell it to somebody else. This is how the, the industry framework. I, I, I get it. I get it. Do you think? Do you think it's right, though? I think it's not my perspective to say it's right or wrong. Just the regulatory perspective. It's my perspective to make money off of it. That's what my perspective is. It's my perspective to abuse it, and it's my perspective to defer any kind of. Um, you can't sue them, right? Defer any kind of legal action based on from consumers because it's their data. You gonna sue them for losing their own data? I don't think so. Well, it's not just Equifax. What about what about Google? What about Facebook? You see, with the social media networks, there's something even more insidious there. I'll tell you what, guys. If I if I didn't do these shows, I don't think I'd have any online social media accounts. I mean, unless you count Reddit. I'd probably have a Reddit account. But I don't think I'd be on Facebook or Twitter. Because they're designed to exploit a flaw in our minds. Entrepreneur Sean Parker says he's not sure how much Facebook is benefiting society. Parker was the founding president of Facebook when the company started over a decade ago. He recently made some very jarring comments about social media exploiting the vulnerabilities in human psychology during a conversation with Axios. Here's what he had to say. You know, if the if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, that thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you, you know, more likes and comments. I mean, it's, a, it's, a val- it's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th- I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom at Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. All right, let me just close my Facebook page right Mm. Yes, that's the Napster guy, and he had some involvement with early Facebook, and uh, he's he's telling you something you already knew. It's just not something we like to think about very much. And then you think about the fact that they own that data. Well, I don't like that very much. I don't like that very much at all. Speaking of not liking something, I got a clip here uh, from an author who uh, stopped by Fox Business to uh, talk about the election night meltdown that Hillary Clinton had. This has been a rumor that's been going around since election night that she threw plates, she totally freaked out, which understandably, I mean, she was, she's been kind of planning for that for a while. Um, and this guy wrote a book on it and he's putting it out soon. So we talked to, we'll, we'll never, never, ever chat with him again. Um, Doug, wait, good to have you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, I they do may, want, and they may lose their jobs. <laughs> and they may lose their jobs at all points. You'll know who this is. Um, I do want to get in that. I do yeah. want to get into high expectations here yeah. because they certainly worked against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, they and in this case, they could be working against this administration, setting a bar like get tax cuts done by August, 
signed, sealed, even delivered. What do you think of that? Yeah, but they have to move, as you know, historically, because the party that's out of power almost always picks up seat. It's just a rule. It's uncanny. And politicians come along and think, oh, I'll beat it. But Reagan couldn't beat it. Obama couldn't beat it. I think if they lose this August deadline thing, and if they don't get them done this year, they're going to have a horrible midterm election. I agree with you. And then there's the media. Well, we'll <laughs> the media, the media is going to say, we lost the last election. We're not going to lose this election. You mentioned the media and the role it plays and how much it leans left. I think most journalists are, are liberal-leaning. They try not, they yeah. say, to, to, to espouse that and show in their program. But they do. Um, but you got inside this because a mindset had developed that everyone thought Hillary Clinton would win. The only issue election night was what time she would come out. But how did you get this other stuff about the craziness going on in her camp that night? Yeah. The, the, the breaking glass, the, the <laughs> shouting. Was all that true? Uh, it was true. I start, First, I started hearing the stories, and I'm checking the sources. Some of them are Secret Service. They're different sources. And then I went to people who'd voted for Hillary, who loved Hillary, who'd worked for her and Bill over a period of decades. And they were seeing it all kind of unravel. I'd say, could this be possible? They said, absolutely. They said, she's like a light switch both ways. Said she may be so the very upset, she and she's out, suddenly calm. She didn't come out that night. John Podesta did. Or she was deeply upset. Tell me what was going on. She was hurt. She was disturbed. She was broken. There were tears. There was shouting. There was shattering glass. They said that uh, former President Bill Clinton was just totally (laughs) mute, didn't open his mouth, just totally quiet and respectful. And uh, looking back on it that night, you remember Ed Rendell came on the television and people said, how's she doing? He said, she's angry. I I didn't notice that until I went back and reviewed some of the tapes and saw that. Who was she angry at? I think she's angry because of what happened, of what happened. I mean, she outspent him eight to one if you count the soft money. She outstaffed him five to one. She had 960,000 people on the ground with her ground game. She had 249 newspapers endorse her against 19 of his. And he had only one thing, which was a billion dollars worth of earned media. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is he doesn't mention the superdelegates. Now, he makes a point here about why Donald Trump, talking off the cuff, worked so well for Donald Trump. For this this great book, it's going to be a bestseller. I don't care if you're left or right on this, but you had said that there were passion in his crowds, none in hers. I remember you and I talking about that months before the campaign. Yeah, we were talking about it the entire run-up to the election. Uh, The election. Uh, And that came back to hurt her. The the reading a cute card, you know, the same old lines, even down the same jokes. It got old. You could see it in the numbers. And, and uh, Donald Trump stayed on message. And when I would talk to and people... And he was topical. He was almost like a stand-up comedian. He'd keep it like Johnny Carson. all the topical. oxygen out of the air. And I told people in Trump Tower, I said, you're killing him. He's off messages. They said, no, he's not off messages. What do you mean? He's off message. They said, no, he's got two messages. The first one is make America great again. And the second one is I'm not a politician. So there when he was off message, he was on message. There it is. There it is. And that's why it still kind of works for even today because the people are so pissed at the situation at the runaway federal government that they're willing to they'll just vote anybody in who isn't part of the establishment and that's why trump won that's why bernie would have won i think now there is one individual on this show that we play that is more controversial than most it's not nancy pelosi it's not even donald trump it's nigel farage and um 
I want to play this clip on the show, even though I always get a ton of crap for it, because he lays out some of the George Soros shenanigans, which we always think about it here in the United States as the funding for certain types of protesters or different movements inside the U.S. But the thing about the Open Society Foundation is it's really all over the world, and the U.S. is just part of its overall strategy. Mr. Farage, two and a half minutes. Thank you. As Mr. Muscovici said at the start of this, the leak of all these papers and lists of people with offshore holdings has come. I'm uh, uh, sorry, I probably should have set this up. Uh, the papers he's referring to right here are the Panama Papers. ...about because of the Society of Investigative Journalists. But what's not been said this morning, and I think is relevant, is that the funding of these investigations came from one George Soros. Now, I say this at a time I'm going to come back to so what. And it may have some personal interest for you as well. I say this at a time when the use of money. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The Paradise Papers. Yes. Not the Panama Papers. Um, So uh, let me I want to play this section for you because you might have been distracted by me calling it the Panama Papers, because this is really fun. He somebody somebody shouts when he says it's funded by George Soros. Somebody in the crowd shouts, who cares? And of course, it turns out there's a very good reason why this guy shouted that. And it comes all back full circle. George Soros. Now, I say this at a time I'm going to come back to so what. Yeah, he says, he yells, so what? And so uh, you'll find out why he said that. And it may have some personal interest for you as well. I say this at a time when the use of money and the influence it may have had on the Brexit result or the Trump election has reached a level of virtual hysteria. Just last week, the Electoral Commission in the UK launched an investigation to find out whether the Leave campaign took offshore money or Russian money. This came about as a result of questions asked in the House of Commons by one Ben Bradshaw, somebody linked to an organisation called Open Society. I just wonder, when we're talking about offshore money, when we're talking about political subversion, when we're talking about collusion, I wonder whether we're looking in the wrong place. And I say that because George Soros recently gave Open Society his organisation which of course campaigns for free movement of peoples and supports supranational structures like the European Union, he recently gave it $18 billion. And his influence here and in Brussels is truly extraordinary. Open society boast that they had 42 meetings last year with the European Commission. They've even published a book of reliable friends in the European Parliament, and there are 226 names on that list, including yours, sir. I thought, I thought you'd find this interesting. Uh-oh. We even had last week Mr. Verhofstadt lobbying on behalf of Mr. Soros. He's just sitting there chilling, just like, what are you doing, asshole? He just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Look at that guy's face. <laughs> it's too good. It's too good. <sighs> at the Conference of Presidents in a battle that is going on with Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary. If we're going to have a debate, and we're going to talk about full political and financial transparency, well, let's do it. So I should be writing today to all 226 of you, asking some pretty fair questions. Have you ever received funds, directly or indirectly, from open society? How many of their events have you attended? Could you please give us a list? of the meetings of all the representatives, including George Soros yourself, and I think this parliament should, now set up a special committee to look 
into all of this. And I say that because I fear we could be looking at the biggest level of international political collusion in history. There you go. So uh, there's a little, a little, uh, little additional information on George Soros's fun across the pond as well. Now, uh, if you want to talk about showing me the money, let's come back here to the states. Let's let's see how much the U.S.'s years and years and years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and Syria. How much are they costing the individual U.S. taxpayer? It's been calculated that by the end of this year, the U.S. will have spent a total of $5.6 trillion oh. on wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and in Syria. That's triple what the Pentagon says it spent. That's just since 9-11, of course. And American universities worked out that it means the average U.S. taxpayer has actually oh. footed nearly $24,000 to pay for their country's <laughs> lengthy <laughs> war on terror. Yes, everybody. $24,000 each of us individually owe $24,000 towards all the shenanigans. <laughs> and the cost looks set to increase too, with uh, NATO now planning to put more troops on the ground in Afghanistan good, too. Good, good. We have decided to increase uh, the number of troops. The current level is around 13,000. Uh, yes. The new level will be uh, around uh, 16,000. We have fought now for 16 years there nonstop. Let's, uh, let's stop right there. So there you go. Around $24,000, $25,000. They could be adding, Trump may add as much as $7,000 to that one. Now, there's going to be a lot of people upset about that. You know, you got big tax cut stuff coming up. You got a lot of things happening in, uh, in well, just every single day, the news around Trump. A lot of people, a lot of people have things to say about Trump these days. And you might, as a Trump supporter out there, and I'm only talking to the Trump supporters, the rest of you... Um, just take a moment because the Trump supporters need a little encouragement right now because everybody else is feeling fired up. So Trump supporters, I'm going to leave you with some talking points on how you can always win the argument when somebody starts saying something negative against Trump. I present you the ultimate Trump Trump card. Why do you think there is this uh, negative perception, especially even among some within the Christian community? What what do you think? lends itself to that. Well, part of it is because he's still got rough language. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he still has some of the queen's character in yeah. his character. Uh, but what I say to people, I said, listen, if you have a problem with someone with rough language, then you're going to have a problem with Jesus. Oh! Because he spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you vipers, you snakes. <laughs> there you go. You got a problem with Trump? Then you got a problem with Jesus. I said, listen, if you have a problem with someone with rough language, then you're going to have a problem with Jesus. Because he spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you vipers, you snakes. Yeah. He referred to Herod as a fox. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the account of the woman he called a dog. Oh, there you go. Problem solved. Makes sense to me. Go ahead, run with that. See how that does for you. All right. Well... With that bit of wisdom, I think I'm just going to have to leave you for the night. Hopefully you've got enough overtime in your system to get through till next week's episode. I do hope you can join us live. Always love to see more people join us live. Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony for the chat room, the unfiltered dedicated channel. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live time. And of course, Patreon.com slash unfilter to make all of this possible. And this here frickin' segment was dedicated to our patrons. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Trump 
is just like Jesus. Same thing, guys. Then you're going to have a problem with Jesus. Oh!